I love listening to the podcast because I always hear these famous words. The show always starts off by saying, the light is green. We're live on YouTube. Let's start the show. And then sometimes you hear me say, and then let's try this again. All right, so the light is green. We're live on YouTube. Cue intro. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. With your host, Mr. Can't Get Past Level 1 in Any Game, Stevie Stroh. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back for another live episode of Coco Talk. We are on the air with episode 88 of the show that just won't stop. Despite numerous requests and cease and desist orders, we are still here and live and on the air. We've got a very, a very, a very, a very special guest today, and uh, Davey Mitchell just joined us in uh, the live stream. So did Ben Drake. So we've got two of our friends from across the pond. Uh, hello, governors. Uh, good to see you guys. Um, so in the live panel, we've got with us the guy who makes magic happen, the celebrity wrangler, Mr. Rondell Vaux, who continues to bring in A-list talent to the show. <laughs> Thanks for coming back, Ron. Yep. Always a pleasure. Thank we you. have got uh, Mark D. Overholzer with us in the house, our resident Apple guy, but he's a cocoa guy too. And we've got lots of love for everybody. Uh, we've got from O Canada, L. Curtis Boyles with us. Hello, Canada. Um, hello, Curtis. Hello, everyone. Brian Weasler's with us. Hello, Brian. Hello. Mark Bosley is back with us again. Hello, Mark. Hey, hello. Creator of the Switcheroo and the Wallaby, Jason the Cocoa Man Rikert is with us. Hello, Jason. Hello, everybody. Uh, we have the creator of the the optimizer of MC10s and, and other fine things, Mr. James Diffendaffer is on the program. I was told there'd be beer. Where's the beer? <laughs> <laughs> Bring the, your own. Bring your B-Y-O-B, own. yes. <laughs> the thunder from down under from uh, Australia, Mr. Nicholas Morentes is here. Good day, Nick. Good day, everyone. From Boisson Technologies, creator of the Boomerang E2 memory board, Richard Lorbieski is with us. Yes, let's get this dumpster fire started. Yes, we have. Uh, John and Lowry has just joined us. Hello, John. And then last but certainly not least, from O Canada, two Canadians for the price of one, Mr. D. Bruce Moore returns to the program. Hello, Bruce. Howdy, howdy. All right, so let us uh, let's just cut right to the best part of the show right now. Let's dispense with the pleasantries and get to our guest of honor, Mr. Dale Puckett, is with us on the program. Hello, Dale. How are you? Ah, uh, good afternoon. Good to see you guys. I recognize all of the names I see on the screen for the most part. <laughs> Old Rainbow Days, but uh, I had to warn Ron earlier. I uh, I remember very few names from the history, so. Uh, 
won't be as uh, fluent with it as uh, Frank, but uh, if I'm prompted right, I can probably bring up a few <laughs> things. I, I think you're giving Ron Dovo a run for his money with all the technology in the background there. Uh, we always tease him about being in mission control because he's, he's wrapped around with screens, but you've got a nice little collection of uh, communications technology back there too. Oh, yeah. The, uh, this is my uh, retirement ham shack. We uh, got most of the equipment back around 2011 or 2012. Uh, didn't wind up retiring till the end of uh, 1975. I worked until I was uh, 75 at Brainworks Software in uh, Wichita. We did newspaper software, and I was doing news feeds uh, of the classified ads to papers all over the country, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, so we just stuck with it. And uh, worked out pretty well. But uh, my ham call is K0HYD, Hotel Yankee Delta. And uh, you can't see the amplifier. It's behind me. And uh, so is the uh, transceiver and stuff. But uh, it's uh, basically all my logging's done on the uh, 21-inch Mac there. And uh, yeah, we, it, we've got uh, quite a collection. Uh, I've got a uh, Step IR DB18 beam. Uh, it is really, uh, really a fantastic antenna. It's up about 45 feet. But I uh, wish the sunspots would come back. I tell you what, uh, the uh, conditions on the HF bands have been uh, really terrible lately. So we've been fooling around with uh, DMR and uh, D-Star, playing around with the hotspot and doing stuff like that. And that's kind of neat because you can talk around the world and sounds like you're right in the same room. So... Uh, yeah, amateur radio is a lot of fun, and uh, it all started because of uh, uh, the computer uh, activity. Actually, it was a ham first in 1956. Wow. That led to building a television, and then that led to computing and building a computer, and, you know, went on from there. So uh, that's the story about the equipment. Neat. I should just mention, too, that Dale's uh, one of the co-hosts on uh, Twit TV's Ham Nation podcast, which is for hams, and it's got other people like Bob Hiles, quite famous in the music industry and designer of mics, including the one that Dale's using and, and a bunch of others. So it's a really good show if you're into ham stuff. It really, really is a good show, and uh, Bob does a great job of putting it together every week. We uh, are on about every three weeks if we get the input uh, my job basically is to present uh, viewers' uh, videos. Uh, the viewers uh, send in their videos, and we try to pick two or three uh, for every video segment and let uh, everyone see it. And uh, a lot of people out there enjoy it. So uh, it's a lot of fun as long as we get input. Now, we haven't, uh, it's a slow time of year for input, so we'll see what happens. But uh, if we get some input and get some videos and some shack photos in, we'll probably be on uh, in early January uh, one more time. We were just on last uh, last Wednesday with a good video about the winter field day, and that is uh, where these uh, crazy hams go out uh, in the cold uh, and tromp through three miles of snow and then operate from some uh, tent out somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So I think you'd have to be really dedicated to do that, but... Uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It makes a good video, too. Well, now Coco Talk can be on um, as a video of what you've been doing here. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Uh, well, you guys are invited to send some videos in, too. Especially, uh, there's a couple of hams I heard uh, introduced here. So, uh, you know, send a video in. We'll, uh, you know, with your Coco running your ham station, and we'll uh, we'll make sure you get it on the air. Neat, neat, neat. 
Uh, we're also being reminded today happens to be your birthday, uh, Mr. Puckett. Is that true? Uh, that is true. Oh, oh, happy, wow. birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> thanks happy for, birthday. Thanks for spending yeah. it with us. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think probably Curtis is going to be a good one to ask you some of the more OS9 centric questions. And what I would just ask the people on the panel, I, I'm going to leave the camera on uh, voice activated. So when people speak, it'll switch to who's speaking. So I would just ask the people who aren't speaking to please mute your end, especially when, uh, so when Dale goes to respond, we can have the focus go back to him. But I know Curtis is probably going to want to hold up some of the books and things like that. So Curtis, I'll let you drive the questions because I am not qualified nor worthy. And uh, but I'm looking forward to learning as all this stuff goes on. So I'm going to go ahead and mute my mic now. OK, well, one, I just wanted to get into your earlier life and, and your career and stuff, because I know you were in the Coast Guard for quite a while. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I can give you a quick uh, overview <laughs> resume, I guess. If, uh, yeah. And then also kind of mention how you got into computers and stuff and, and hams, I guess, too, as, as well. Oh, OK. Sounds good. Uh, well, uh, I was in high school. Uh, I think I was a sophomore when I got my first uh, uh, license. It was a novice license here, uh, KN0HYD. And then a year later, I got my, what they called then a conditional license. It was uh, a general, but you didn't have to drive 250 miles to Kansas City to uh, take a test. You could take it uh, from another amateur here uh, in the uh, local area. And then... Uh, it was eventually grandfathered to a general. So I was a general until 2011. And in 2011, I decided I wanted to get uh, get get serious again and get back to studying and uh, did some uh, exam practice and things like that and got my amateur extra class in 2011. So uh, we are an amateur extra. We kept the call sign. We've had the same call sign for uh, 60 some years now 62 or something oh, like wow. that so it's kind of neat uh, a lot of people change their call sign when they get uh, an extra to get a one by two or a two by one which is kind of neat but uh, i like to stay with the tradition and we kept the uh, original call sign so that's where it all started actually uh piddling around with uh, radios i remember back uh, right after i first got my license uh copying uh what was the name of that satellite uh out oscar those are the ham satellites but uh the russian satellite uh, that sputnik? all it did was say say hi you know did, 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 or something did, later than sputnik i think that was sputnik Sput, sputnik yeah i think i think it was too uh and boy it came in loud and clear and so uh that was pretty exciting for a, a 15 year old kid uh, back then in the 50s. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, my first radios were like a, I had a super regen that I built uh, receiver. I had three tubes in it. <laughs> and that was, uh, was kind of interesting. And uh, I worked Hawaii with that uh, regen receiver. So, uh, amateur radio is the start of it all. And, uh, it sort of progressed along, and uh, let's see, uh, in the set, well, in the 70s, sometime in the early 70s, built a television from Heathkit, so that was a lot of fun. I always liked to tinker with parts and do things like that, and then uh, in the mid-70s, uh, uh, Frank talked about this one, the Southwest Technical Products uh, 50 uh, computer came out. And just, just to show you what we're dealing with today and then, uh, 
uh, I spent the money and got 12K of memory. <laughs> and so I thought I never needed any more memory again. And uh, now I've got 48 gigs in my main Mac that I do uh, video and uh, <laughs> artwork on uh, or photography work on. So uh, that's pretty amazing, 12K. But that was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, back then, there wasn't a tape drive. Uh, uh, you, you could have a paper punch if you had one. But I uh, typed in those sample programs in hex code. So that's how I started with, uh, with hex code input. And I'd leave the computer on for a week or two because it took forever to type in all that hex code on the, on the computer. And so this went on and we eventually got a tape drive. It was like, I think, the 300 baud tape drives that you're all familiar with from back then. And uh, that, was a, that was a gift <laughs> to be able to uh, save, save things like that. And uh, then it evolved into, uh, I, I got really involved, I met Frank and we got interested in some things. And uh, I uh, started uh, working with assembly language and uh, that worked out real well. I, uh, I could really relate to programming in assembly language because I, I could understand at a low, a low level what was going on in the machine and how to make things work. In fact, one of the triumphs was uh, this friend of mine on Governor's Island in New York uh, went uptown to the uh, radio district and he came back with this contraption. And it was a uh, attachment that you put on the bottom of an IBM PC uh, computer. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this if you'll write a program to uh, drive the IBM. So uh, he reverse engineered the logic on the, uh, on the board. And I took his notes from the logic and wrote a program and I'd be darned if it didn't work. So uh, <laughs> I used that uh, at work uh, for many years before uh, printers were uh, available a lot to uh, do some of my writing and things like that. So that was a lot of fun. So that's how we got started in programming. And uh, we, uh, we wrote a couple of programs there for the, the color computer with Frank. Uh, uh, they, were, uh, they were assembly language versions of basic language programs that had been out there before, like uh, the ELISA program was the famous one that where it, was, it acted like a, a psychiatrist. We did one called Esther, which is my wife's name. And uh, everybody liked that for the most part. And we did a couple of more. And uh, that's how that all got started. And then uh, eventually we got a color computer. And eventually, uh, uh, in the meantime, I should pick up the parallel uh, course. I uh, joined the Coast Guard in 1966. I was in four years and decided to get out because I was working uh, while I was in the uh, training center there as a public information uh, specialist. I was uh, working at the local TV station uh, two or three nights a week and uh, working. And I, they let me work on the radio or uh, TV station. In fact, they wanted me to work on the TV station because they needed a first class operator. And uh, if I would do that, they let me play radio every once in a while. So I'd get to go uh, do radio broadcast uh, oh, a couple times a week, and then also go uh, do some broadcast down on the boardwalk, which was a lot of fun there in uh, Wildwood uh, by the sea. The training center for the Coast Guard was in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. So uh, 
I got out after four years, a uh, pretty independent guy. I, I had a, a journalism degree and everything when I went in. I didn't really want to go to OCS and be an officer or anything. I just wanted to work in my craft. And so I did stick with that. And uh, what happened there was uh, we got out and worked radio there in uh, South Jersey for about a year and a half or so. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, then I got a call from uh, the manager of the radio station that was the uh, sister station of the TV station that I'd helped build and then did the news on later out in Garden City, Kansas. It was KUPK, Cupk uh, Television. And uh, everything was going fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd had, I told him I had to have a company car. I wound up with an old beat up Volkswagen bug van. <laughs> and, uh, so that, I knew it was going downhill from there, but, uh, I was there for about a year and a half or something like that. And, uh, you know, I was, I was making fair money because I was, uh, the morning man, the, uh, uh, engineer and, uh, program director and anything else they could, uh, have me do <laughs> to justify the title. I think they called it operations manager or something. But uh, I was uh, interviewing a, a young gentleman, actually a, a barely about, about a high school kid, came in for an interview at the station. He wanted to work. He wanted to pay me to work on the station. So uh, at that point, I made a career decision and went back in the service and finished out after 22 years total uh, in the Coast Guard and uh, went up. Uh, First in my first tour, I went up to first class, went back in as first class petty officer, and uh, then up to chief warrant officer, a couple of warrant grades, and then uh, about three or four years before I retired, I uh, advanced to lieutenant. So I uh, uh, did play uh, did jobs like uh, the uh, assistant public affairs officer for the Atlantic area in New York City, and we lived on Governor's Island a couple of times which was a fantastic experience to uh, live on this little uh, community that was like three or 4,000 people. It was like living in the middle of Iowa or Kansas or something. And then you take the ferry boat right across the East River, it took about a minute and a half, and uh, you were in the heart of it, right on uh, just off Wall Street. And then catch a subway, you'd be right uptown. And uh, yeah, we loved it there. And uh, so that was the the side, uh, that was the real career, but I've always had this uh, drive to work with computers and uh, broadcasting type things, and uh, that led to the color computer. I was lucky enough to be selected to go to the Navy, uh, the U.S. Navy photojournalism program in, at Syracuse in uh, 1978, and that's where we met Frank, and uh, that, uh, that started... Uh, that started everything basically because uh, after that I started doing some writing for the color computer news and did some a whole bunch of writing for the uh, uh, rainbow and then uh, we went to a meeting in Texas uh, one time it was a not a ham fest it was a computer uh, convention and met Ken Kaplan I talked him into letting me do a book that was a uh, that was the start of the the book thing and it was the uh, OS9, uh, hey, you got one there, okay, doing yep. <laughs> tour guides. And uh, Was that a Rainbow Fest you went to? It was what now? 
a rainbow fest? No, it was a it was just a computer convention at that time. Oh. That was before the, the rainbow fest. Then after oh, okay. this, uh, after this came out, uh, Ron, uh, Lonnie uh, invited me to come to a rainbow fest in Chicago. I don't remember what year that was. It was real close to the airport there at uh, O'Hare. O'Hare, yeah, it's at uh, Woodfield. Yeah, and that was that that was great. And a little side story. It was really weird. Uh, Lonnie had a sign out in the lobby. Uh, have uh, author Dale Puckett sign your <laughs> uh, basic 09 uh, tour guide. And uh, I never pictured myself as an author before. I just figured I was putting together a technical manual of some kind. And what was really strange is uh, my uh, fourth grade English teacher was uh, happened to be in the hotel at the same time. And so when I got home, uh, she related the story to me. So I thought that was uh, quite funny. So anyway, that was, was the first rainbow. The fest? Was she attending we the fest? Lot, what, what was that? Was she attending the fest or was she just happened to be at the same hotel? No, no. They just happened to be in the hotel. And uh, no, they weren't computer type people. But uh, that was, I mean, that uh, that's one of the first small world stories. <laughs> you know, you uh, run into something like that. And uh uh, that was the first of then many Rainbow Fests. Uh, we, we, I think we did most of them until uh, 1990, maybe, or 89, maybe, was the last one. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. There was always a big crowd for the OS9 uh, seminars. And uh, kind of interesting, another relative story, uh, you go back, Back then, uh, I always tried to use visuals with the, the presentations, and it was quite a production to uh, uh, take these plastic overlay sheets and uh, Xerox them <laughs> to uh, to make some kind of graphic that you could put on. And when I compare that to what I can do today on uh, on the computers, uh, man, with uh, <laughs> programs like PowerPoint and uh, I used Keynote, but uh, man, they look, you can do beautiful work today. The same type thing uh, goes on. I uh, I pioneered a lot of stuff uh, from the audio audiovisual side of things uh, in the Coast Guard, uh, doing uh, multimedia uh, projects. We called them then, but uh, they were actually two slide projectors driven by a little uh, box, and you could do things like fades and takes, and that was about it. But man, if I, if, uh, and, and you had to get your photos perfect in the camera because <laughs> uh, you sent them off and they either came back and they were good or they were bad. So, uh, today, you know, I can go into Lightroom and I can turn a bad photo into a good photo. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. man, if I'd have had the tools that I have today back then, I could have probably had a good career. Uh, well, I did have a good career, but, uh, uh, it's just amazing the, the progress of, what we've done in technology from uh, back then that was in the eighties until, uh, until today, it just gets better all the time. So it's a lot of, a lot of fun. We do a lot of uh, photo editing and things like that. And uh, that's a great, great pastime. So yeah. where were we uh, Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned how you met Frank and kind of got into the Coco and the OS nine side. So I was going to ask you, how did you and Lonnie meet? Like how did the arrangement with writing your regular column for rainbow, which lasted for years and years? How did that come about? Well, I think that basically came, uh, well, I, I started off writing for 
Was it, was it, that was the name of it? Uh, color computer news. Was that the one out of Tennessee? Yeah, that was, uh, was it Bill Sias or somebody did that? If I remember that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, I wrote there first and then, uh, and Frank had his call in the 64 K corner in that. Right. Yeah. And then I think Frank met Lonnie and I think Frank referred me to Lonnie and suggested that I do an OS nine column because he, uh, provided an, uh, an output for him for his news, uh, you know, in the rainbow. So it was good for him for me to do a column there. And he sort of introduced me to Lonnie and I took it from there. Uh, Lonnie liked uh, how to do articles, uh, which is good. Uh, I I've done, a, I did a few of those. Uh, my favorite one probably was, uh, how to do the drawing programs with basic 09. That was kind of fun. That was with the color computer two and OS uh, nine level two. Uh, but my column basically sort of covered the OS nine news front. Uh, you know, who's who in OS nine, what are they doing these days? And people seem to really love it. Uh, and so that uh, was maybe not completely lined up with what Lonnie liked all the time, but a lot of the people liked it. So we just sort of stuck with it and did that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Cause you had sample programs and then you also had like sneak peek previews of third party software coming out. You just kind of do previews, yeah. previews of them and stuff. Yes. Too. And of course, OS9 level two here would be this, uh, this book here, which of course brings me to my next question on, on OS9 level two, cause this was volume one, a beginner's guide to windows. Whatever happened to volume two? Uh, I guess we never uh, did one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my favorite books was this one. Uh, hold that up there. It was uh, that's the original book, uh, OS yep. Nine Level One. But uh, Lonnie somehow worked a deal <laughs> and and sold that book in Japan. <laughs> and uh, I always got a kick out of uh, out of the book in in Japanese. About all I could ever read in it was my name. So <laughs> and, uh, it was. Uh, that was very interesting. Uh, but, uh, you know, we did the OS nine level one book, uh, had a lot of the information in it from the basic 09 guide. And, uh, we tried to, you know, we, we teamed up with Peter Dibble. I, you know, yeah. I, you know, I think I've never met Peter in person, but we, we talked a lot on the phone and he was a programmer's programmer. He was, you know, he was it. And eventually worked there for, uh, Ken in, uh, at microware in the, in Des Moines. And, uh, we sort of teamed up and I did the part of the book that was geared for, uh, the beginners for someone that was brand new to computers and didn't really understand programming and, and tried to lay it out, uh, so that they could understand OS nine and what it was doing and things like that. And then Peter took over about halfway through the book usually. And uh, he did some really heavy-duty programming and got them in the book. So with the two of us together, it made a great package. Uh, and we, we did sell a lot of books. I uh, basically was able to put my daughter through college with the, the Rainbow Books. So that was a, it was a good meeting to have Frank introduce me to Lonnie there. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, if I remember correctly, I think originally Rainbow sold the books on their own, but didn't they get a deal to sell them through Radio Shack later on too, if I remember? They did, yes, yes. I remember walking into a Radio Shack here in Wichita when I was home on vacation or leave uh, one time and seeing them. So that was pretty neat. <laughs> so, 
And then I know, uh, like when Kevin Darling got the job to do the level two upgrade, you were one of the testers because you there'd been mentions both in him after the fact saying that you loved like his super windows package with movable resizable windows and stuff. And I think you were part of the uh, CompuServe hidden form that they had for the developers too for testing, if I remember correctly. Uh, so Mike, how did you I don't involved with that project, do you? I don't remember the CompuServe. Well, I remember being on CompuServe, so it's quite quite possible that I was in that group. Uh, and uh, don't remember the testing either. So, uh, so it leaves me cold right there. Okay. Yeah, because I remember when Kevin redid a little summary, like you kind of explained the history of the upgrade, which it started in 88, and you know, and then the Coco got canceled before they were done. So uh, he'd mentioned that uh, on one specific point was you, he said, he said super windows was written. You have movable, resizable, overlappable windows and stuff. He said Dale Puckett loved them, but they were a little yeah, bit too small, so they, they ended up pulling them out a little bit. So I'm sure I did. I, yeah, that, that, I thought it was fantastic. OS 9 level 2 was so much better when it came out that, uh, you know, it was amazing what you could do with that little color computer. And uh, yeah. I had several... Uh, uh, I think the, I don't, I had the color computer too. I think I had a couple of those and eventually gave them away one to a niece who then later became uh, a writer and uh, used it. And that's how she got introduced to uh, computers. So that was nice. And then a question on, on the various books that you did for OS 9. Did you write any of those in OS 9 or did you write them on PCs or what, how did, what, what did you use to actually write them on? Uh, I think, I think actually I was, I had a, I was a Macintosh uh, developer, I think, and was able to get a one of the. I didn't get the original Macintosh. I got the 512, which was the one that came out the second year. So I did everything on those and sent those little uh, three-inch floppies to uh, Jim Reed and his staff there at Rainbow, and they did the editing there. But I just used a simple text editor. Every, everything was simple text. There was none of this fancy. Uh, uh, work that you can do today with the the GUI editors. It was it was just plain text. In fact, a lot of my columns, I would uh, send them in with a modem, and that was back when modems were really slow. And so it would take I don't know how long to send in a a column that was only you know maybe fifteen hundred words, and it would take take five minutes or so on the on the phone and sending it with the the slow modem speeds back then. But, uh, yep, that's how we did it. With okay. a lot of the columns went in by modem. I think the books went in by mail. I think I sent the floppies in at that time. And then a question. There was a mention at Rainbow near the end, like the last year or two, that you were going to be doing a special kind of wrap-up book of for the Coco, kind of a history of, 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 of somewhat, and then also a bunch of the people that were, you know, influential and, and inspiration within the Coco community, but the book never got published. I don't know if it was just an idea that never started or if it got started and then, you know, Rainbow was shutting down so it just never got published or what was the story behind that? I, I think it was a, a case of uh, with the those of us who tried to do it, uh, we never could get exactly what Lonnie wanted uh, was what it boiled down to. Uh, I uh, was invited to do it. Uh, uh, when they had the last Rainbow Fest, I think it was the last Rainbow Fest there in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, that was, I think, 1990. Could have been 89. 
but I think, well, it must've been 89 because I, I retired February 1st of, uh, of 1990 and, uh, he invited me to do it. So I, I thought I'd try it, but, uh, you know, I forget who tried it first. And then Jim Reed was going to write that. And that guy's terrific writer. And he's, you know, just amazing with the stories he came through. And for some reason that didn't work out. And then I tried it and, uh, I'm back. I was back to my people thing and my whole connection with the color computer was in OS nine. So I did my first chapter or two and sent it in and, uh, it was all about, you know, it started in a uh, meeting at a Rainbow Fest of OS9 people and, you know, was bringing all the names and that kind of stuff. And that wasn't what Lonnie really wanted. And uh, I about, I just basically gave up on it and didn't do it. It was <laughs> what it boiled down to. <laughs> so uh, um, my, my bad, you know, I, and, but you have to look at the situation back then, you know, today we can get on and talk to you guys and look at your faces and see everything back in 1990, you had to make a long distance call and you got charged by the minute. Yep. So you can imagine the cost of trying to interview all these different people. And, and, uh, uh, you know, Lonnie would have reimbursed, but it would, you know, it was just, uh, you know, not, not sustainable at that time. So that's, what happened did did you actually get any interviews done or did you just start writing the preamble and that's what you sent into Lonnie that he kind of said that's not what I wanted really I, I did a preamble and I did a first chapter uh after talking to some of the OS 9 people communicating with them I guess with email and stuff like that of course I remembered stuff and I had stuff in my notes from the columns and all that kind of thing so uh I didn't make a lot of calls no not not to that point Okay. Just out of curiosity, do you still have that first chapter kicking around somewhere? I think that would be something some of us would just love to read just to see where it was headed in, in your mind and your, your vision of it. Well, I'll tell you what, I would have to do some digging. I just may have a, a copy down in a box somewhere in the basement. Uh, I'd have to look. Uh, you that know, back then... Awesome was on floppy and now you can't you can't read a floppy with anything so uh i probably could find it but i'd have to do a lot of research and and digging through some boxes okay try well, if to you ever do some... find it, i would love to read it i would like like i was pretty piped up you know really wanted to see the book when when it was first announced in rainbow and obviously it never got done but just to see where it was headed would have been pretty interesting i would definitely like to see it it would have been a no, really no good pressure. idea <laughs> Yeah, I think I probably was not the right person to do that because I didn't have the uh, history uh, of the uh, the early color computer as much as you know as the post OS nine introduction part, and uh, so I didn't know a lot of the people uh, that were involved there in the very early days, and so uh, hey, we hey, were dear. trying dear. to get established. Here. Yeah, Ron. Did, did you ever um, read the Coco, the colorful history of Tandy's underdog computer, that book that came out? Did you ever get to read that? I. That or do, you even know, do you even know about it? <laughs> no, it's it up here if you want to take a look at the cover, see if you recognize it. Or yeah, not. there it is. <clears throat> uh, Boise, Peter Boise. yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I bought that book because Boise is a good friend. And uh, yeah, I did read most of that. That was really good. 
Yeah, because yeah. that's kind of yeah. the history. And then before that, Nick Morentes did a series of interviews with some of the, you know, more of the game programmers, but type stuff. But he did one called Coconuts. That was interviews with some of the programmers from the day too. So I guess some people kind of picked up what you were trying to do on their own independently. But yeah, I remember the Boise's book. Yeah, I, I bought that one right away when it came out because I had been I had talked to him. By that time, I think we had uh, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you could communicate, you know, with email and stuff. It wasn't like the uh, earlier days. And I did, I, I remember getting that book right away when it came out and reading it. So yeah, very good. So, so it's, you did some programming back in the day too, <clears throat> like obviously with basic and I with the basic and tour guide and then some other stuff you mentioned, like Esther, the Eliza clone. Do you consider yourself more of a programmer who became a, a column writer journalist type thing? Or do you prefer to think of yourself as a columnist slash whatever first and then programmer second. Well, I think the, the columnist type thing would be more of a career type thing. I mean, I, I'm a Jayhawk journalist, uh, graduate of the William Allen White school of journalism at KU. And, uh, so I've always written and liked to write. Whereas the uh, programming was an avocation. I actually liked it more than the writing. The writing was work. Uh, the programming was fun. <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, typical uh, type, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, so I uh, I was a good, decent, decent programmer because I uh, <clears throat> was able to work pretty well at the low levels, uh, you know, with assembly language and stuff. But then where I got lost, I think, and and got away from it for quite a while was when it came into the higher level languages i couldn't relate as well to the hardware and stuff as i did when i was working at the low level uh so i didn't do a lot of programming until like the late uh oh mid mid i guess 1990s i was working then for freedom system integrators which was a company that uh, Brainworks software bought uh, in 2001 and uh, we had started doing uh, web feeds for uh, uh, newspapers around the country for our client uh, customers. They'd want to send their classified ads out to a website or something. I started doing these uh, feeds at this time and uh, the language of choice was Perl. And so I became uh, quite fluent at Perl. I was, you know, it was pretty shaky there in the beginning. It was uh, some pretty primitive stuff back in the 1990s. But uh, <clears throat> this all evolved and the interest in the web got uh, more intense as, as we went along. And then, you know, sometime in the early 2000s, maybe very early 2000s, uh, there was really a big demand. And you, you couldn't write these programs by hand like uh you can, you you know, like we were doing at first, we would, somebody would need a program to feed XYZ and we'd actually do that program for XYZ. And uh, it just got too intense then early in the uh, 2000s. And what, uh, what we did at that point was uh, uh, we, uh, I decided that the only way to do this was to, write a program that write these programs. So uh, essentially that's kind of what Perl does is uh, it's text substitution. And that's one type of programming I could really understand and get into. 
so I started off with a thing called Class to Web. And uh, the Class to Web was a program. And what that program did was it wrote a program that would do a web feed. And it evolved to the point where when I retired, it was quite complex and would do all kinds of things and uh, basically automated the process of making these web feeds. And we were doing so many by, by 2016 when I retired that uh, we needed it too. <laughs> you, you know, you, you wouldn't, if you'd had to write those programs by hand, you would have been out of luck, period. But basically, uh, it used a pseudo language uh, in a template and worked that template against some uh, uh, prototype code and merged the two together and came out with a good program. And it was a lot of fun. So that's probably my biggest achievement in programming was that uh, class to web and uh, the state it was in when I left Brainworks there in uh, 2016. It was uh, pretty fantastic and pretty neat. So Perl's a good language. And uh, that was that's where I did most of my programming in the, the later days there. So. Okay. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, like uh, at the end of Rainbow's tenure, there was all the, you know, the competing parties doing basically what they called a Cocoa 4. There was a TC9, TC70 from Frank Hogg. There was the MM1 from IMS and uh, the System 4. Did you get involved with any of those or try them out? Or what was your opinions of those at the time? Uh, no, I sure didn't. I was, uh, I was so busy getting uh, organized after I retired and trying to find a job and stuff. Actually, I didn't look for a job for quite a while, for about uh, six to nine months or so. But then I got involved, uh, uh, let's see, the first, yeah, it was a computer sales job. And that took up a lot of time. And uh, that's when it was all going on. It was around 1990, 1991. Yeah. And I, I really didn't have the time, so I, I didn't do a lot. Uh, the programming we did back in the, uh, color computer days. I had a gimmicks computer too. That uh, from the guy in Chicago. That was uh, that was nice. We used that, but uh, did not do any of the uh, sixty-eight thousand uh, programming. Uh, it was basically my last assembly language programming and stuff was with the sixty-eight oh nine, which uh, was on its way out about the time I retired there from the Coast Guard. Okay. And then from your, your years being in level one and then level two with the windowing system, et cetera, did you have any favorite OS9 programs from all the stuff you saw, either was from Radio Shack or from third party? Did you have any things that really stuck, stick out on your mind as those are pretty uh, awesome? Not really at this point, it's been so long. There were a lot of really good programs out there though, uh, in OS9 and Frank had most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> it worked out real well. Yeah. Like I remember stuff like Sculptor and I mean, Radio Shack quite a, quite a yeah. few games in Eros 9, like, you know, Cronus Rift and Rescue and Fractalus, that kind of stuff, too. So, Has uh, Ron or anybody else got any questions, too, here? I don't want to, well, like, hijack I, the entire show. <laughs> do, you, do you think you, you weren't much of a gamer, were you? Did you uh, play games much, or were you more, um, you know, application stuff? No, I think I was more uh, application. I never... Uh, Never did get into the games a whole lot. I, mean, I, was, I heard somebody's introduction say that could never could get past level one. That probably <laughs> that was me. That would, <laughs> that would fit my bill too. You know, I uh, I I would tinker uh, uh, for a little bit and play. I used to like that uh, 
original game when I had my first color computer, I got two of the cartridges. I don't remember what the second one was, but the main one was the uh, Klingons uh, with the spaceships with the two circles on the end. And always thought that was a lot of fun and get a kick out of it every time. <laughs> I Still in the movies. <laughs> so uh, pretty neat. Uh, that, that was a neat game. Uh, but uh, no, I, even with the, the state of the art games today are amazing. They blow you away. But I, I, I don't, for some reason, my mind doesn't get into the shoot 'em up stuff. I'm more with the application stuff, trying to get something, uh, something done. Did you ever draw much on, on drawing programs or anything? Like, you know, there was Coco Max and all those uh, programs that did drawing and there was a uh, yeah, I like those. Yes. And, uh, that's why I always wanted to figure out how to do the, the, the graphic programming. And that's why I, that, like I I'd said earlier, one of my favorite, uh, project, uh, things was that, uh, basic 09 draw program when they came out with the capability in OS nine level two to do that. I actually understood it and could <laughs> actually do a few things. And I was amazed to be able to do, uh, some, uh, rudimentary graphics, uh, you know, with, uh, with simple programming. So, uh, uh, always like the drawing programs and the, what I like now is I, you know, like the best program bar none, I think for editing photos is uh, Adobe's Lightroom. And it's just absolutely amazing what you can do. If you've got a background in photography, you know what you're looking for and trying to do, and then you get those tools and it's like magic anymore. Yeah. And the way you can do presets, uh, you know, you, you accomplish something once you can save it and then you can apply that later to different photos. And, uh, man, I, you know, that, that program blows me away every time I use it. Uh, uh, I got, I got another I, question for you. Um, yeah. Did you, did you back in the day, remember WeFax, the WeFax program with the uh, color computer? I remember the name. Yes. Yeah. I have, uh, I don't know if I can show it fast on my camera but um here's the opening screen weather facsimile receiver yeah i think i remember that yes yeah and um i actually uh, got it to work and would uh receive you know this is the uh the controlling program and then um this is actually receiving it on the coco wow look at that yeah, you could actually read, read words and stuff, <laughs> which <laughs> I thought was amazing at the time. Yeah, but that's, um, that's my kind of program. Did you ever do uh, anything like that yourself? Uh, no, <clears throat> no, I never did. You never used the cocoa for anything um, on the, you know, on the ham side of things. Ham side, yeah. Yeah, I was no, I really question. didn't. I was going to ask that question there because one of my first exposures to ham radio was through a, a color computer friend of mine, and uh, um, he did a lot of the packet radio with his uh, with his cocoa yeah. connected to it. And I didn't know if you did. I was going to ask that question if you had done any packet radio back in the day. Yeah, I, uh, yes, I did back in the uh, it was mid to yeah mid nineties basically. I ran uh, three packet nodes here in the in the Wichita area. I had one 440 megahertz uh, transmitter that uh, talked to 
to a uh, tower up by Emporia, which was about 90 miles away or so, uh, closer to 100 maybe. Uh, and uh, it would bring down at relatively high speed, you know, 9,600 baud uh, uh, for packet radio. It would bring it back uh, to Wichita, and then I would have it on my bulletin board uh, here, which was fed out on another node, on another frequency on uh, 1,200 uh, uh, kilobaud. So, uh, yeah, we did a lot of that. I did, I, I did some experimenting with some of the... Uh, color computer uh, packet programs. But I don't remember what computer I was using back then for uh, uh, for the, the packet radio. Uh, I did do some experimenting with the color computer, however, and play, play with it uh, on packet. Yeah, I kind of remember we were sitting there and uh, he had to make like, uh, this is sitting in Iowa, and we had to make five hops to get down to Florida where NASA was at on the packet radio. And then all of a sudden, here comes this weather map from NASA on packet radio across his computer. And I just thought that was the most incredible thing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, it, was, it was interesting. That, I mean, that was the, the beginning of uh, communications, the, the packet bulletin boards. Uh, actually, they had the regular telephone bulletin boards, too. But uh, with the packet bulletin boards, everything was done on the radio. And uh, like you said, it... it took a hop about every 30 to 50 miles to get across the state or get across the country. So it was not a very effective uh, communications medium, but you'd let it run overnight and it would do its uh, file transfers overnight. Uh, and then the people locally could read it at their leisure on the bulletin board. So that, that, was, the, that was sort of the beginning of a communications breakthrough and uh, Gee, where we are today, we're looking at it right here. So uh, uh, it was a lot of fun experimenting with that. And I ran that bulletin board for, oh, three or four years, I think, before the lack, uh, you know, the internet had come on by then. And uh, the use of packet radio just dropped off to nothing. And now I'm back into SDR radio, playing with uh, uh, software-defined uh, receivers and uh, programming, I'm not, I haven't written any low-level programming, but I uh, experiment with a lot of programming uh, uh, for SDR and uh, also with DMR radio uh, to talk uh, worldwide, also with D-Star, um, run a hotspot. So uh, I'm still tinkering. Uh, you with, need to uh, say what some of those iconic. acronyms are. What, uh, the acronyms? Yeah. I guess DMR uh, yeah, like, is... What is that? Software defined radio. So basically, the hardware is nothing but a little receiver that receives the signals all the way from uh, around 28, 29 megahertz up to uh, one and a half gigahertz. And so you have an antenna on that, and all of these signals in that whole bandwidth are coming into that, that detector. And uh, Basically, then it's demodulated by the demodulated and puts out, uh, you know, with an A to D converter type thing. And then after that comes out, the software in your computer acts as the radio and, and does all the filtering to uh, set the bandwidth and set the frequency and do everything. Uh, the people that write that stuff are geniuses. I, they have to be, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, it's absolutely amazing. It's fun to play with, and it's inexpensive. I mean, you can, uh, 
you can pick up a uh, what they call RTL SDR. Uh, that's just a, a brand that this ham down in Australia uh, designed and then had uh, Chinese manufacturers make. And I think it's like 25 or $26. And it's uh, one of the best designs of the SDR, inexpensive SDR radios out there. And so for that uh, $25, basically, you can have a radio that can listen to anything from uh, uh, 28 megahertz to 1.5 gigahertz. And you do things like uh, I've, got, uh, I've got one that's dedicated to the uh, aircraft tracking runs on 1.09 gigahertz or 1,090 megahertz. And it picks up uh, aircraft uh, tracking signals from, uh, I get about a 250 mile plus range uh, here. So I have uh, four or 500,000 sightings that I feed into FlightAware uh, every day. <laughs> and so uh, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. You can, uh, you call up the screen, uh, you call up a web page and you can see the aircraft, you know, where they are. And sometimes they have up to 150, 160 aircraft on the screen. It looks very scary. You wouldn't want to get in an airplane <laughs> if you look at that screen. So uh, that's, that's some of the experimenting, you, you know, you can do today. And of course I, I do a lot of the, the ham radio stuff and then you, you can have an actual uh, converter. I've got one, I've got one called Spyverter. It works with the AirSpy, which is the higher cost uh, SDR I have. And uh, it's hooked up to the computer. And then with the Spyverter, it converts the signals below 28 megahertz up into the range, uh, you know, around 150 or megahertz or so. And that uh, they're detected up there, but they're, they're sent up there, converted up by that Spyverter. You can actually tune the tune the ham bands, you know, like on 20 meters, 14 megahertz, you can tune them right down to the kilocycle or kilohertz. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to play around with this stuff. It just, you know, it's amazing. And then as far as the uh, acronyms, DMR stands for digital mobile radio. And that's the latest trend in uh, amateur radio uh, uh, communications these days. And the reason is that it, it's it's inexpensive. You know, the first uh, digital radios for hams where the worldwide uh, things were going on were uh, D-Star, but they were proprietary uh, to companies like ICOM. And now Kenwood has bought a license for, for some of their radios too. But they were relatively, while they were, yeah, they were expensive. It cost you, you know, $400 at the minimum to get a D-Star radio. And uh, you can buy a DMR radio for 80 bucks for a single band. And so <clears throat> DMR is taking over the, the amateur ranks uh, by storm, especially now that uh, the, the sunspot cycles, is, it's, it's the pits, man. It, you know, <laughs> you go on high frequency now and it's noise. That's what you hear is a lot of noise. Uh, I mean, you can hear, I mean, you can still work some people. If you're running high power, if you run, you know, if you get up 500 watts, kilowatt, you can make good contacts. But if you're running down with the low power, 100 watts, man, you're you're hard pressed to make a contact sometimes today with the, the propagation. And then it's in and out too. The the QSB, which is the fading in and out of the signals, is fast. You know, you'll you'll be talking to me and you'll be loud and clear and in the room, 
And five seconds later, you'll be down in the mud and can't even hear you. So yeah, speaking it, uh, of QSB, Dale, you're yeah. starting to Cylon. Yeah, your yeah, sound is starting to break up on us in a little bit. Plug it back in again. <laughs> I thought he did it on purpose. <laughs> for, for dramatic effect. Yeah, perfect timing. Well, here we go. Let's, uh, let's try it. Okay, I changed the mark. Let me check here. There you go. You're yeah, back there on. You go. You're fine You're now. Good. Uh, I see. I don't know why it does that. You said it was a Logitech driver. Yeah, it's it's something. It's a bug in the, out of the chip or the driver, and it's basically anything that's based on that particular chipset has that same problem. And it doesn't matter what yeah, platform that, you're on either. Yeah, this is the. Uh, I think you can see it in the picture. It's the purple uh, USB uh, device that Heil designed to drive his mics into a USB connection on your computer. And it uh, it does that on Skype and right on schedule. <laughs> wow. Know? Yeah, it's funny because you were talking about being on the high band and how things start to turn to static on the high band. And as you were doing that, the background noise was like on cue, just started coming <laughs> yeah. in while you were talking. It's like, it man, was perfect. It's so. <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, it could have been any shame. more timely. You know, started in amateur radio was at the high point in a, a sunspot cycle. And you could uh, talk to Europe, you know, with hardly any power, talk to Hawaii with hardly any power. And radios weren't what they are now back then. <laughs> and and now you're hard-pressed with a really good receiver. I've got a low-noise receiver set out in the pasture about 800 feet from the, any power lines or anything. And uh, it's even hard to copy on that, uh, that stuff. It's just, uh, it's, it's just pits right now. I'm, I'm hoping it'll start slipping up uh, pretty fast because I'm tired of the, I'm tired <laughs> of the bad conditions. Back in, heyday, oh, go ahead. back in the heyday of the uh, with, with the rainbow and everything, um, where did you get your inspiration for either like articles or books? Were people approaching you or was a lot of it original work? Uh, well, some of the programs I'd try to do would be be original, but a lot of the a lot of the reviews and stuff that people would come to me, you know, with their product and uh, I'd, uh, I'd play around with it for a while and like it and uh, go ahead and write something up. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, got to play with a lot of software and a lot of hardware and uh, really enjoyed it. Back then, didn't you uh, consider yourself to be on the cutting edge of, uh, you know, the computer? Oh, I, th I think so. Uh, yeah, I, it was very, very definitely. And I always, you know, I often wonder what, what would have happened if I would have uh, just dived into the computer industry, you know, full time at that point and uh, did a career that way but uh, i you know i decided to stick with it and retire and uh i actually did another career after that because i uh you know i sold computers for a while and i did quite well at it but i hated sales uh, you know i hated it from when i was in broadcasting when uh, nobody got promoted to manager except the salesman <laughs> and uh, uh so i i really didn't like sales although i was extremely successful at it selling uh selling the computers but then i got a chance to go to a company called micro uh what was it's same as microware in des moines but it was the it was microtech here in wichita and they had the computer uh industry or they had the newspaper software industry uh, locked up back in the 80s and uh, early 90s with their uh 
proprietary uh, system. I uh, went on as a uh, technical writer, and that sort of led to a lot of writing, too. And then eventually, uh, what happened, the state retirement fund pulled their money out of Microtech, and Microtech went uh, bankrupt, and we all were without a job. But then a company up in Chicago, uh, Monotype, who made these big, uh, big, printers basically for newspapers uh printers is a <laughs> probably not the right uh name but uh the the big devices used printing presses Press. uh, they built and installed those things and they bought uh freedom system integrators and uh, brought it back from the ashes <clears throat> as as they say and then i got to go to work for them probably within six months after they bought it and I finished out 22 years there uh, at the end of 2016. So most of it was uh, with, uh, I did a lot of support, a lot of computer support. Uh, and uh, that's another interesting story is the evolution of uh, uh, computer support. Man, it was hell back in uh, the 90s, the late 90s when I first started. We'd be helping somebody and they wouldn't know how to spell computer. And you'd be trying to oh, tell them to do something technical. And it would take two hours to get anything done. And now you just connect up, drive their computer, fix it, done, finished, thank, thank you, and uh, go on your way. So that's about, uh, that's about it. Love it. I have a question for you on, on publishing uh, articles and stuff, because you, you did work for Color Computer News, CCN, and then you did work for Rainbow. You did some of the book publishing. Did you ever do articles for some of the ham magazines and stuff, too, or anything outside of the Color Computer? Uh, I I may have written a ham article or two. Uh, not a lot. Not a lot. I really never did have time. I was always full-time employed. And so any writing I did like that was on the side. And basically... Uh, uh, now I'm doing, uh, you know, a series on the DMR radio, uh, for, uh, and digital radio in general for the local ham club, uh, magazine, but that's, uh, you know, preliminary <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's not a big deal, but, uh, it gives me a chance to write every once in a while. So I, it's kind of enjoyable. You still get to scratch that itch then. You're right, right. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Writing is uh, all about, uh, you know, simplicity. I've always been a fan of uh, Hemingway's writing. And I have an app called the Hemingway app. I think it's available on all platforms. Uh, and uh, it basically checks you as you're writing. And if you get too wordy or you do use too many, <laughs> oh, wow. or if you go into a passive voice or if you do this or if you do that, it flags you right away and so you can correct it. And uh, you can get your writing, your reading level down to, you know, sixth, seventh grade writing on a technical subject by using that program. And I always think that's a lot of fun just as a challenge to, to lower the reading level so people can really enjoy it. Because that's what I think that's what sold my books back in the, in the days is I would try to write tight and, uh, and active and, and follow all those rules from having away. But now you can't remember them all. So you got the computer reminding you all the time. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the technology today is just amazing. Have Absolutely. you ever had an interest in writing fiction or anything too? Or or, or you just... Uh, no, it? I never did. I, you know, I guess I don't have any imagination. I think that's what what boils down to. I, you know, I lock into uh, who, what, when, where, why, how, you know, journalism type thing. And uh, yeah, I never did write, write a, a, a fiction book. 
Peace. So another question would be, um, do you um, do you keep a track of, um, or, you know, the kind of thing you do, do you notice there's, other than us, I mean, they're, here we are, the Cocoa Group and everything, but, um, you know, there's uh, Commodore and Apple and, and some of the other classic groups or whatever. Do you ever get involved, um, you know, have any contact with these other people? Or then not only that, but, you know, what do you think also of our group that we're kind of back and we're doing kind of pretty good for, you know, a computer that's gone? Almost five yeah, years I, now. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't done any of the other uh, uh, user groups or <clears throat> or forums or uh, Facebook groups or whatever that uh, that are out there. I just I always had the interest in your group because of the the fact that I was involved, you know, with the color computer back then. I think you're doing a great job. I uh, I enjoy uh, seeing the post on the Facebook group all the time. I don't participate a whole lot because I don't do a whole lot, but uh, uh, it's kind of fun and kind of kind of nice to see the old names and see the you know, remember some of the old equipment and uh, it's kind of amazing to see uh, some of the technical work that's being done today and uh, it would almost get me inspired to do some of that stuff. With, uh, <laughs> I was going to bring up my next question: Is have you played with any of the emulators rather than having to dig a cocoa out of storage or something like that? Or uh, no, no, I haven't. So, yeah, now, now uh, I'll have to check in with you and find out about uh, an emulators because I've got enough computing power now that I could run one in a heartbeat probably. Yeah. So oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. And there's yeah, multiple I'll, emulators too. So I'll have to put a note on the forum and see if I can uh, find out about a couple of those, just play around. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. The, lot of fun. What Curtis was talking was touching on earlier about how this book – that never happened. That would have been kind of the Coco re, uh, retrospective. What you know? What how? You know what a shame that didn't happen. You know it would be really neat to have heard some people's opinions from that kind of time capsule um, perspective, looking back while it's still kind of fresh in their minds. But I think when you're talking about how technology, how it's you know it's been so good to us, we do have something like that. Like we're very fortunate to have you on today. And we are having like these weekly conversations and these monthly podcasts where we are reflecting on things. And um, so it's good that we're capturing it now. And, uh, well, I think so, you know, more you can capture, then it'll be there for people in the future. Yeah. That's great. And right. it's unfortunately that Lonnie Falk didn't see the, the benefit or the value of it then, you know. Um, but we definitely see the value of it now, just, you know, kind of maintaining this for posterity's sake, not only nostalgia's sake, but, you know, just for, we're, we're, we're actually helping contribute to, you know, an archive of, of history too. So oh, it's, I think it's you are, yes. definitely cool stuff. Um, I've been saying that for a year now. Maybe yeah. Uh, are, are you, are you, were you familiar with the nitrous nine project when, when it happened? Uh, uh no, it sure wasn't. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in it though. <laughs> yeah, so Curtis could probably speak to that, and we'll be reviewing the latest version of that now. But yeah, uh, I was just curious if you if you were even familiar with Nitrous Nine, which is just a supercharged version of of OS Nine. You know, and I, I'm trying to remember if you were still active at Rainbow when the the secret features of the six three zero nine chip came out. When we that's what started both uh, Power Boost by Burke and Burke, and then you know a few months later Nitrous Nine came out. 
uh, based on the added capabilities of that chip, which apparently had been there all along since 1986 when the chip was released, but nobody really knew it. I was wondering, I can't remember if you were still active enough, you would have heard about that chip and, and its features back at that time. No, I don't remember that at all. Okay, because I, yeah, I think Power Boost, if I remember, came out in early 92 or something. I think you were probably already pretty out of the, thing, out of the Coco. Uh, yeah, I was already in the computer sales bit by then and pretty well consumed time-wise. So. <laughs> Did you ever work at Radio Shack too at any point? No, no, I sure didn't. Sure, sure didn't. Went to a lot of Radio Shacks all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> Did Still, you ever make it up to uh, the, you know, the home pod at Fort Worth or? With your, uh, with even uh, went to Radio Shacks a lot, even until a few years ago when they closed them all here in town. But uh, how did you is, feel about that? There's huh? How did you feel about that? I uh, I don't like it because it, it was a good place to get parts. Now we do have a privately owned Radio Shack here that is the candy store. Is what the hams call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Used uh, ham equipment and new ham equipment and. Uh, so yeah, it's a great store, and he he stocks a lot of the parts. But uh, it's such a shame to lose that uh, that connection with these low-level parts, where you could go pick up a few parts and build something. Yeah, you can't yeah. anymore. No place to go, or at least none that I know of, to, right. to do something like that. Well, well, we certainly don't want to see you go, but I just want to remind you we've 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 held you captive for an hour now. So if you did have your other obligations today, I wanted to remind you of the time in case you had to go to go on. Um, but feel free to to hang out here as long as you can, and and know that you can always come back. Uh, well, we're we're good, yeah. we're good to go. I missed a question though. I we got tied up with the radio shack. What was that other question uh, revolving around Radio Shack? Uh, oh, the Fort Worth. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to the headquarters for either for Rainbow or for whatever? Yes, I, I was going to say that uh, in the course of working on that book, uh, we were able to get an appointment supposedly with one of the honchos and we drove all the way to Fort Worth and then they didn't have time to see us. And that's... <laughs> see. You know, it was sort of told the story that they weren't interested, you know, <laughs> and uh, that was another thing that evolved into dropping the book and not even trying to do it because there was some expense involved to go down there mm. and uh, time and driving down and the whole bit. And then they don't have time to talk to you. And that, that was a very sour taste. So mm. that was, uh, that would have been in 1990. Wow. Phasing things out. So, that's too bad. <laughs> what a shame. Another, another, why did Tandy do that moment? Yeah. Right? So, that's, we have a lot well, of it. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. I mean, I could have had a book with just a good couple of interviews for a couple of days down there. I mean, yeah. And they were not interested at all, period. You couldn't even talk to the guy I was supposed to go down and see. So I think, it, it's take it, I think it's safe to say then that Radio Shack would not have been interested in distributing that book if it had been completed. <laughs> Probably a pretty good bet, yes. So. Now, at the time when you were writing about the uh, 6809, did you realize that it was such a powerful 8-bit uh, processor at the time? Did you know? Uh, yes, I did, I think. I, I thought it was the best one out there. Uh I don't know. It may have been because I, you know, I learned the 
assembler language programming on the 6800 initially. And then the 6809 brought a whole lot more power, but it was still the same straightforward, simple design. And I, you know, I always thought it was logical <laughs> to program, whereas the x86 type architecture I couldn't get into. It didn't compute for me. Yeah, it's it's probably because graphics. I learned the other, but uh, uh, I uh, I thought it was very good architecture, and uh, it just kept getting better back in those days in the in the mid to, to late eighties. Uh, did you did you do any sixty eight thousand stuff? Uh, no, I didn't. I had dropped out of it by then. I would have probably if I you know had stuck with it and been doing some programming then. Yeah. You'd but, mentioned you know, that you, you had an SW TPC or whatever heck it was, the SS. Right, right. That was it. Yeah. So did you get introduced to Flex first and then you went to Ostein or did you get into Ostein right off the bat? Because I know some of those had both operating systems. So I, I, don't know. I think I did Flex first. Yeah. I uh, Flex was pretty neat. Uh, just straightforward and very not very easy to program. And then that evolved. Then OS9 came out later. And uh, I started working with that. So, and was OS9 yes, your, was your first exposure to OS9? Was that on the Cocoa, or did you use a gimmicks first or something else first? Uh, I did some on the Cocoa, yes, <clears throat> back there with Flex, uh, when I was working with uh, Frank, and then eventually I got the uh, gimmicks computer. And, okay, so uh, actually, your first exposure to OS9 then was on the Cocoa. Not on uh, no, no. I had I had OS nine on the Southwest Tech, I think uh, SW. Oh, okay. PTC, and then then I wanted to get color computer right away as soon as they did that, and did, and uh, played around with it a lot too at the same time. Are you familiar with the um, OS nine thousand or any of the newer stuff? No, uh, no, I'm sure not. I guess I'm going to have to tune in more to your uh, group there on Facebook. <laughs> We had uh, Alan Bediger on. He was uh, he's uh, part owner of Microware now. Did you know him at all? Uh, no, I sure didn't. I, I just knew Ken and what was it, Jeannie? I think it was uh, his wife and Peter. And that was a, and maybe a couple other guys. And that was about it. If you get a chance, it would be cool to listen to um, the show we had with him on. Uh, he explained on how he worked on uh, a little bit of the cocoa in early days before uh, as Radio Shack started to put it online or build it. He was involved with that. Well, yeah, I like yeah. production, yeah. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be really interesting. I'll have to send you a note there on Messenger and see if I can get a link. And yeah, it was the episode it. right before Frank, so it's pretty yeah. fun. Oh, okay. And that's <laughs> well, all on YouTube, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I was reminded of something else, Dale, where I'm also friends with you on Facebook and not too long ago, you had a doppelganger where somebody created a fake Dale Puckett account. Were you, were you oh, aware yeah. of that? <laughs> they do that every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like we had, we had been friends forever, but never communicated. And all of a sudden I get an instant message from you out of the blue one time saying, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, Oh, not much. It's seven in the morning. But you know, <laughs> That wasn't that wasn't very long. You know, that's a yeah. pain. You know, take these people to do this crap and just, you know, hang them. <laughs> public I, I mean, it creates so much havoc. It's just, yeah. you know, ridiculous. 
So you you know you go in and change your password and report report them immediately. They they yeah. uh, Facebook jumps on it and and takes care of it. But it's just a, you know it's a thorn in your side, extra work you don't you know you don't want to have to do. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. We didn't have that problem back in the Cocoa days, right? <laughs> no, no fake no, online I, handles. Didn't have the communications. <laughs> maybe uh, on the know, BBSs, if you went on the pirate BBSs, you might have caught some of that. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a possibility there, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was going to mention, you were mentioning packet radio BBSs, and I remember a few of my friends over hams up here would do that. And I think one of the big advantages back then, like you were mentioning before, how expensive it was to do long-distance dialing for BBSs, and you could charge by the minute, I think, same as long-distance phone calls. And I think packet radio actually made it cheaper. You could log into something in a different state or even a different country and, you know, send software back and forth and not have to pay these exorbitant long distance fees. So that was one thing I do remember from the hams back then that was really popular. It was good. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, it was actually, it was amazing the packet radio, but when you put it all in context, but uh, you know, a 1200 baud, <clears throat> The, the fact that uh, it took forever, it wasn't very good for instant communications, but it was good for long-term bulletin board type communications where the large files could be transferred overnight and uh, the people wake up in the morning and check the bulletin board and get the latest stuff. So, yeah, it was a, a good part of the evolution. It just, uh, if you look at it now, and 1200 baud is extremely painful. <laughs> so, <laughs> Even 9,600 bods are extremely painful. Yeah. So. yeah. Another one of our Coco community guys, Tom C. in Jersey, he's a, he's a ham guy. He's, he's in the packet radio. He's doing stuff where he's, and Jason can probably speak more to this, but he's bouncing stuff off the International Space Station and getting things that way, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of fun, too. We had a, a video on uh, this past Wednesday on Ham Nation uh of Larry uh, WD0AKX up in Minnesota, talking to the uh, lady on the on the space station. That was kind of neat. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. We did that here in Wichita a couple of years ago. Now uh, it was in January. We uh, set up the antennas, had had the uh, school kids in uh, to exploration place, and uh, we're on schedule and work. The uh, space station. And the kids got to ask questions, and the astronauts answered them, and it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's a, another phase of the hobby I haven't really gotten into a lot. But, but uh, satellite radio is it could be fun. I have a you question have to, on that. How 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 long is the queue if the, if you wanted to talk to somebody in the space station? I'm assuming you have to make some arrangements. Obviously, you can't just barge in and say hi type thing. But, like, how far ahead do you have to book that in advance? Well, no. Well, the the things with the schools are booked in advance. You know, they 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 know when the passes are. In fact, you can buy software now that you know tell you where the space station is at any any time. Tells you where any of these satellites are at any one time. But uh, because they know when they're going to be over a certain area, uh, you can you know they they work months in advance to schedule the schools. Because the, they have they they have the teachers give uh, lessons and teach the the kids about the space station beforehand, and then they they have this date set up when they're going there's going to be a pass, and then the hams work with the uh, coordinator from uh, NASA to to work out the timing and all the details, 
and uh, they all meet at the same place at the same time and the kids get to talk to the uh, the, uh, the astronauts which is uh, it's, it's pretty neat so that that is done well in advance probably two to three months uh you know of planning and evolution but you can make a contact with the satellite you know if you just happen to you, you know you have your tracking software and you know when the satellite's going to appear over the horizon and you're there waiting you start sending whatever you send or if you hear somebody you can work them most of them are like a duplex operation with uh, the the uh they receive on one band like 440 and then they transmit back on another band like uh, two meters so it's live with most of these low earth orbiting satellites and so a lot of people really get into that part of the hobby it's just i i haven't uh, but it uh it could be a lot of fun definitely hmm. come a long way since sputnik where you just had that single uh, right, signal coming right, off. yes right <laughs> then uh, you knew when it was coming over and you listened it was on 21 uh, megahertz uh 15 meters and it was loud and clear and you could copy it for about 10 15 minutes but all it was doing was sending high hi did it did it did it and it would do it over and over <laughs> so that it, uh, that was pretty cool though when you you know 15 16 years old and uh, just playing with the radio for the first time yeah i, I got a, a ham oriented question for you when I'll uh, try. <laughs> when you were back in the day with your ham as as opposed to maybe now is the sky all clouded up with you know frequencies and noise and stuff compared to back in the day i mean can you you know is there a difference i mean because certainly we have hundreds of thousands of pieces of junk flying around the earth and some of them are giving off signals and you know there's radio all over the place now it seems like well i think i think there's more noise in general uh, a, no, a higher noise level, uh, a higher uh, signal-to-noise ratio or noise-to-signal ratio uh, than there was because of all the, the different transmitters. I mean, in your house, you probably have a hundred different uh, noise sources, you mm -hmm. know, from the LED bulbs to the faders to the, you name it, they're putting out RF and creating a, a creating noise. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, the uh, the communications on high frequency or, or HF are cyclical, and uh, it's a 13-year cycle for sunspots. Mm -hmm. And when the sunspots are low, and like we've had some weeks where there weren't any sunspots at all, the communications is just nearly impossible anywhere, you know, above 14 megahertz. I mean, you you can usually work on 20 pretty much, but above that, it's just not there. Then when the when the sunspots come in, you know you'll get up to ten meters, you know twenty eight megahertz, and you can work the world with five watts at that point. So uh, it's a cyclical thing, and we are at the pits right now. I hope, I hope, I hope we're heading up. At this one, one good thing that's happened uh, when we go and put our cocoa on um, TV on channel three or four, there is no channel three or four on there. So, they interfere with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> None at all. Well, yeah. Well, uh, once a week, Cocoa talks on the air for three to four hours, so I do apologize for all that noise pollution that we're putting out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that's noise. He's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, the noise pollution is, you know, from the power lines and the, yeah. uh, there's all kinds of stuff. 
yeah. Cell phone towers, I imagine, is in there too. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, I mean, you look at some of these cell phone towers; they have a hundred different uh, antennas on them, and they're, you know, they're operating anywhere from 600 megahertz all the way up to a couple of gigahertz, and they're putting out this stuff all the time. And yeah, uh, out here in Arizona, we have uh, fake-looking swarrows, these large cactuses, you know, and uh, <laughs> they're, you know basically a shroud for some kind of uh, antennas inside or something you can go by and you look and you think well they're, they're not hiding that very well cause it's <laughs> a stupid looking cactus you know pay no got- attention to the giant cactus yeah. it's fiberglass does it say acme on the bottom of it anywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i've got a question for you out in arizona Do, are you are you participating in that uh, television study with the new advanced uh, ATSC, uh, are you? Do you live in that area? I don't know what it is. Tell me. It must be in. Uh, I thought. I thought it was in uh, Phoenix. They're testing the TV stations there. Are testing the second level, second version. You know, ATSC two, oh. so to speak. Uh, I'm not aware of will allow 4K television on broadcast. Oh, the second man. version, but ironically, they're calling it ATSC three. Is it three? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Somehow I thought it was two, but I yeah. Yeah, they skipped two. It's I think they're like Microsoft. They just went ahead and skipped a number. Ah. <laughs> I just wondered how it was coming out because uh, uh, that could be fantastic. And they've got the they've got the tracking in there where they know who's watching, and they give you localized ads and all that kind of stuff, like they do on the internet. So it's quite oh. controversial. Interesting. Too. Here in uh, where we live, uh, it's in the mountains, sort of, and. Uh, you can hardly get any TV even from uh, Phoenix because we're in the mountains here and we're kind of in a valley. You're like and, in a bowl, huh? Yeah, and we got you, – you know, I, I went to Radio Shack before they closed when I first moved here two years ago to get an antenna to see just, you know, regular TV with an antenna. And the guy at Radio Shack told me um, – and I was standing there looking at the antennas, and I said, what about this one? And he goes, nope. I said, that one there? Nope. How about the expensive one? Nope. He goes, none of these antennas will get you anything here. I got to tell you, don't even buy it. You need one higher than the mountain. Bring it back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A six-mile pole to put that antenna up on. I have a friend that lives south of me, and he has access to a valley where he can point his antenna and get uh, the channels from Phoenix, but I can't. That kind of line of sight, huh? Yeah. Wow. Hey, Dale. Kind of a question here. Um, like in the, with the color computer, uh, color computer community, it tends to be a little bit uh, not a young man's game. But we do see uh, some youth sneaking in from time to time where they have an interest in these old computers and everything. Um, with the ham radio, they've eased the restrictions on the uh, Morse coding to get your license. Is that a good thing? And is, has have you seen a youth wanting to get into ham radio? Uh, yes, there's a, uh, quite a few. Uh, we, in fact, uh, right after the first of the year, I think it's on the 5th, uh, the uh, ARRL, that's the American Radio Relay League, uh, sponsors kid, Kids Day, they call it, all over the United States. Uh, our local club here uh, sets up a station at Exploration Place, which is a, uh, a science museum for, for youngsters. And uh, they operate from there during kids' day and uh, draw a lot of interest. And they let the kids talk on the radio and things like that. 
And we have, you know, I've, I've seen stories every once in a while about a 10 year old getting his amateur extra class license. And, uh, you know, some of these kids are pretty smart too. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, some interest, uh, with the, with the youngsters out there. Uh, the ham radio community is old. I mean, you look at ham nation and Bob 78, I'm 77, uh, uh, Gordo's up there too, probably over 70, I'll bet. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a uh, time for a change of the watch, so to speak. Uh, we need, uh, we need to get the young blood in and, uh, there are people in the ham community working to get, uh, get the younger, uh, kids, uh, boys and girls in, uh, there's a ham down in Florida that has, uh, like three or four daughters and he's got them all with amateur extra class licenses, I think. And they operate wow. all this and, uh, I know on Ham Nation we uh, we try to promote the the, the youngsters on the air and uh, show videos of them operating and things like that because uh, it's uh, it's what the hobby needs now. It's just like yeah. it's the same with the computer uh, hobby. Uh, Dale, now how old were you when you got your first amateur license? I believe I was fifteen. I uh, I was a sophomore, uh, so well it was. Uh, I got my license in like early December of 1956, so I would have uh, I would have been 15 in December 22nd of uh, 56. So uh, yeah, I was uh, 14, I guess, when I first got my license, and then almost 15 at that point. So were you a, a Trekkie? Kids today. Were you a Trekkie? Uh, Nobo always enjoyed the movies, but that's about the extent of it. <laughs> now, your your interest in ham radio back when you were a teenager, did you get that from like your dad or something, or was it something you just got interested in on your own, or did you have an influence? Uh, I think it was uh, other kids there in the high school. We had a we had a ham club. Uh, I had a small high school. I mean, my graduating class was twenty, so. Uh, but we had a ham club up on the third floor of the, the old high school building there. And that's how I got involved, I think. And then through that, met people in Wichita where I uh, got uh, a little training and got uh, got to take the test and, uh, and actually get a license. Was that somewhat new technology? Like when you were a teenager, was this ham radio kind of a new consumer thing? Or how, how young was this industry back then? Well, it, it never was a consumer thing, I don't think. I mean, there's been ham since all the American Radio Relay League, I think it was last year, or if not last year, the year before last, it was 100 years old. So uh, that the ARRL is uh, basically the lobbying organization for amateur radio and uh, the fraternity. And uh, it's been 100 years old, so wow. the early inventions of spark gap and all that were before that but uh i mean they were still back in the spark gap days back in uh, uh you know 19 what 10 1912 1913 back in then uh very early uh primitive but it never was a consumer thing it was more okay. a techie thing okay <laughs> sort of hobbyist techie yeah experimenter yeah. Experiment. Okay. So this is before there were people building hobby-based computers. There was hobby-based radio. Long time before. Yeah. I mean, okay. I built my 
Hertz computer in 70, I think 75. It could have been 74, but I think it was 75. Yeah. And but, uh, that was one of the first ones available to build uh, at that point. So, and the fact there was a uh, ham radio club at your school, though, means that the, the, this, people were aware that this hobby was out there and there was obviously an interest for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very okay. That was in the 50s. Uh, the, uh, the hams did a lot of good work in the, you know, in World War II. I mean, they couldn't get on the air then, but they, uh, because of the, they, they all served as naval uh, telegraph operators, radio telegraph operators and things like that in the Navy. And uh, so uh, there were a lot of hams in the 30s. The Wichita Club here, uh, was formed in 35, I think, something like that. So, yeah, the hobby's been around for a long time. Were you in any color computer clubs at all, local? Uh, no, I sure wasn't. In fact, I don't, I don't think I was in any uh, computer clubs. Where I lived, they really didn't have any. Hmm. Uh, we did travel, you know, every time we got a chance to go to a, a computer convention, like up in Atlantic City or... Uh, Philadelphia, places like that, when we were back on the East Coast, we'd usually go to those. But we, there weren't any local clubs in the area where I lived. Um, that, a friend of mine that was uh, that had the color computer and was also into ham radio, uh, he, had, he had a program on his computer. I can't remember the name of it. But you could type into it, and then it would transfer or change the text into Morse code and then send it out on the radio. And then if someone in reverse replied to your message in Morse code, it would come up as text on the screen. Um, do you think that's cheating <laughs> or were you okay with that? Well, no, I have a question. Uh, Some people thought that was cheating by having the computer do the hammer out the Morse code for you. <laughs> no, in fact, I used to play around with uh, some programs like that on the Coco. I remember, I remember some of those early programs. Uh, today, uh, your high speed CW, CW is the continuous wave. It's a, the acronym. It's the abbreviation for Morse code uh, use. Uh, the high speed, uh, you know, 50, 45, 50 words a minute are done with a computer uh, today. Uh, just about every uh, sound card uh, device you can connect to your computer to decode different types of digital signals can decode CW and you can, and can transmit CW too. And so there are a lot of people that use that. And I, you know, it's, I don't know whether it's cheating. I don't think it's cheating. It's a, CW is a effective uh, communications mode uh, as far as signal and noise ratio and everything like that. So it can penetrate uh, bad conditions a lot more than voice can. Voice uh, is terrible when the conditions are bad. So it's a good mode. So it's not really cheating. It's just another way to communicate. And uh, I, I learned CW back, you know, in the beginning I had to do five and then 13. And by five years into my ham career, I was, I, I took an ARRL test one time on the air and got a certificate for 35 words a minute. Yeah. What amazes me is I can still sit down and I could probably copy 10 to 15 words a minute now in my head, just listening. <laughs> I have no wow. idea how how I could still do that 60 years later so it's amazing so, if you, you think about it I, I would have to wager that the fact that we've had Morse code you know much longer than we had um, like analog modem communications the fact that we knew we could send sound 
over the airwaves and over copper wires is probably what inspired the computer modems because they're basically encoding, you know, right bits into ons and you know sound, you know sound breaks kind of like this the short and long stops of Morse code is to me is that that's like what a modem does you know a phone modem is just turning information into into noise and 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 reverse you know that's like facts right. when that, you when have your uh, yeah what was that Ron facts years ago facts came out before the computers too and you can get a picture you know way back yeah time. yeah it's yeah. just uh, you know it's it basically comes down to the analog to digital conversion and the digital and analog conversion uh mm -hmm. Uh, and then the protocol, uh, you know, the, the modems just have different code they're using than the Morris code. So right. all the different modes that we have today, like PSK, which is phase shift keying, and, uh, oh, you got JT uh, and uh, FT8 and all kinds of things. They all use different coding to uh, transmit their signals, but it still boils down to an analog to digital converter. Sure. Uh, the reverse uh, on the other end of the route. So, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. One yeah. other th thing to ask you, um, are you familiar with Mars? Oh, it's, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a military. Uh, it's a military affiliate radio system right. or station. I had, a, I had a friend that was into that, and I used to go over his house and, and listen to him talk um, to other people. And I, I guess it's a... Uh, a group of people that are raised when there's emergencies and stuff, or you, you probably know more about it than I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> well, it's uh, well, Mars was, it's been around for years. It was especially uh, prevalent, uh, took a big uh, step on the stage in uh, uh, the Vietnam War, say. Uh, the uh, Mars stations would provide uh, what you call third-party communication. They'd, they'd do telephone patches to the servicemen overseas. Oh. Uh, so the, they would go to a ham station, a Mars station at their unit, and then they would talk to a, a ham or a Mars station here. They would patch it into the phone lines anywhere in the country, and then that way the families back here could talk to the servicemen and uh you know you don't need that today with the satellite communications and the satellite phones and everything but uh that was very important uh back in those days and uh, today they still do all kinds of service uh to help out the military with the uh, communications so you can you can participate in that you can uh, revolve your life around it if you wanted to uh, uh, they operate on frequencies just outside the amateur band that are dedicated to the military. And uh, it's, it's like amateur radio, except it's for a, a very defined purpose. So, yes, Mars is, uh, it's been around for years, and it's a very important part of uh, the amateur hobby. Cool. Neat. When you go to, um, if you go to, uh, like, ham flea markets and stuff, uh, do you... Uh, See the occasional uh, color computer there. I really haven't. I you always haven't? have okay. a look out. I always keep a lookout, but I never have. Uh, but basically, all you see is all these Windows PCs. Man, they're everywhere. So that's that's about. It. I haven't haven't really seen a color computer at one. How are we doing? Well, I'm Dale here because it's. Uh... 
22 now. Yeah, I probably better sign off before too long. I'll take right. the last round of questions if there are any. Any from our other uh, radio enthusiasts like Jason the Cocoa Man? Too bad Tom C's not here today. Another one of our radio guys. Right. Um, oh, boy. Uh, well, you, you've went over a lot in amateur radio there. Now, uh, before the show, we talked about uh, Dayton Hamvention. Have you have you been to Hamvention uh, since they changed the venue from the old Hare Arena? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I went to uh, O'Hara uh, Hera twice. And then the last time I went was... Uh, the first year at uh, at the county fairgrounds there, uh, south of Dayton, Green Green County Fairgrounds, I believe, and uh, it was uh, it was a nice place. They were they had growing pains that first first day of the first year, and we drove down on Friday and uh, got caught in a traffic jam. We finally turned back and went back to the motel up at uh, at the airbase there, and then came back a little bit later and drove right in. But, uh, yes, it's very nice, very nice facilities. And uh, I think they're adding a new building there uh, because of Hamvention, because uh, some of the some of the uh, exhibits were in tents and things like that. But uh, most of the buildings are air-conditioned and uh, a really great venue, a lot of good food. It was a lot better <laughs> than Hera uh, there at uh, Green County. Wonderful, wonderful, and it's it. It was even better the second year they had it there. They've they've worked out a lot of the bugs, so that's that's great. No, I missed that. I don't know whether I'll, I'll go this year or not. I know our ham club is sponsoring a bus trip uh, to Hamvention. I got to check it out and find out how much it costs, and uh, maybe be able to go on that. That might be nice. So we'll we'll see. It's a lot of fun. That's uh, quite a place. <laughs> so. Well, I must say you did pretty good with uh, remembering stuff. You said you, you didn't think you could think of anything. I think I could. I you did know, pretty I, well. <laughs> there's a lot, lot of details I've forgotten, I tell you. Uh, the hardest I, part I, about I, remembering is recalling. And I guess when you get you, you hear the right keyword and it just helps you recall certain things. I'm the same way. I, I won't know what to say until somebody asks me a question. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Because once yeah. somebody asks a question, it's oh yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you hear somebody talking about something else semi-related, and all of a sudden that tweaks them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got something like the old days at the color computer uh, Rainbow Fest, though. I mean, that was that was something else. I mean, that was a amazing. I would have liked to have seen a Rainbow Fest. I missed out and on back that. in the heyday when it was like standing room only and seminars. Yeah lined up outside the rooms and oh, it was awesome now are you familiar with uh candy assembly and and we still have coco fest you know yeah we have we have coco fest is going on 28 years now in a row and tandy assemblies had two years now too they're kind of um specific computer events i'll be darned i've still got my uh tandy portable what is a model 100 or something oh, like that oh wow yeah I saved that because i thought man this is going to be a collector's item yeah and yeah they it are. works yeah <laughs> so, and then ran, ran a double a batteries or something for that thing right so <laughs> right well i don't think it's double a but yeah c's right. maybe c battery okay um, something like that yeah i haven't said it but i i've still got it downstairs amazing 
Yeah. That's about it from here. I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been fun. Oh, uh, oh we appreciate having you on. Rainbow, uh, all the names. So, uh, it's a uh, it's an honor to be <laughs> here, and we'll try to. Uh, I'll have to send Ron a note or something, get uh, links to a couple of things, and find out yeah. about some of. The- yeah, oh, I'll send it to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a happy birthday today too. Thanks for joining okay. us on your birthday. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Thanks for having me. You got thanks it. Thanks, Dan. Anytime. And thanks, Curtis, and thanks, Ron Delvo, for yep. lining this up for us. It's good. Excellent. Very, very cool. Oh, Chet has joined us now. Paul Thayer has joined us. We get some more people joining us. Excellent, excellent. All right, how about we do this? Because it has been a little bit. We'll go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back and, and more after this. So thank you so much, Dale, for being with us. And we'll be back in just a few. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strobe. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Kogo3scartcable.com. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. Catch all the latest news and information about the Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles? Oh yeah. I'm talking about the Coco Crew Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles. Grooved interviews. Tech segments and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Strut your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco. I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? 
Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. We now return you to Coco Talk. Hello, hello, hello. We're waiting for the screen to come back. There we go. Well, Ron DeVoe, your next celebrity interview is to get a hold of Fletcher to see what she's been up to. <laughs> because we, we really need to know uh, what, what Fletcher has been up to. How far uh, has she gone? I imagine she's CEO by now. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, Fletcher, Fletcher went far. We need to see how far... Fletcher went. Fletcher might be up on the International Space Station right now, beaming back packets. That might be as far as she got. You just, you just never know. Just never know. You just never know. Well, we've had it's uh, what a great way to start off the show. Thank you for pulling that together. So let's get back and let's start off by saying hi to everybody who's been in the live chat. So we started off with some of our friends from across the pond. So Ben Drakes was here. That was our uh, VR buddy who did the Phantom Slayer. Uh, for us, David Mitchell was here. Davey Mitchell, of course. Richard Lorbieski has been here. Tim Franklin is here. Hello, Tim. John Lowry is here, who's also now in the panel. Nick Marota. Nick Marota. Nick Marota has been here in the live chat. Rob Inman's out there. Um, Coco Man's out there. And SynthTweaks.com, who was uh, David O'Connor, I think is who that was. Uh, Bacchius is out there. Hello, Bacchius. Richard Lorbieski. Ken Reichard is out there. And Mark Overholzer has been out there chatting. And um, who else? Nick Marota, Nick Marota, James Diffendaffer. I guess James had a little um, uh, internet glitch. I guess so David O'Connor now changed his name from Synth Eyes to David O'Connor. And who else is here? All kinds of people. Plenty of Nick Marota out there. David O'Connor. Uh, Paul Shoemaker has just joined us. Nick Marota's here. And Kanai was just here a second ago, too. Kanai Andrews. So... We've caught up on, on who's been out there in the live chat, so we are, we're holding strong at 29 viewers right now on YouTube. Hello to you one and all. So now we can get back to our panel because we missed out on, um, on panel introductions. So again, I'll just review who's here, and then maybe we can play catch-up. So we've got Rondell Vaux with us, and L. Curtis Boyle, Jason the Cocoa Man Reichert, Mark Revision D. Overholzer is with us in the house. Uh, Nick Morentes is here. Chet Simpson has joined us. Paul Thayer, John Lowry, Brian Weasler, and Mark Bosley are all here. Welcome, one and all. Happy, uh, merry almost Christmas, as we're only a couple days away from an old St. Nick pays us a visit. Uh, once again, Ron Delvo, thanks for bringing in the hits, platinum sure. hits. Uh, Mark Overholzer, uh, a while ago, was saying he was reviewing our um, our past four episodes. We've had like back to back interviews, um, and they've all been thank you to our talent coordinator, Mark uh, Ron Delvo. So thank you, Ron. Sure. Just make sure you get Fletcher on. <laughs> so so I must ask the question, Ron, because I know you're a busy man. Have you had any time to post anything to Facebook this week? Not just once, maybe twice. <laughs> <laughs> three times. Yeah. yeah, maybe three times. What's new and exciting with time. you? This anything? Anything new, Ron? Any, well, any new, any I've new toy you've dusted off? I've elevated Ed Snyder to Man of the Year. You have. We saw that. I got a, <laughs> I got a link to that. Well, he deserves it. He's, you know, it's end of the year, and the guy works his butt off. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a debate whether it's Man of the Year or Cylon of the Year. We're still Cylon of the Year. <laughs> debating that. 
And yeah. um, and L. Curtis Boyle, I know at least one of your announcements. I, I won't steal your thunder, but go ahead. Do it. I have an announcement? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, Ease of Use uh, Beta 3 was released uh, yesterday. I did a very small minor update to the zip files today. I had a couple new people that have never tried it before. And for some reason, I thought, you know, everybody's going to be trying it. It's already been trying it, so I didn't have to re-put all the old docs in from the previous version. That was a mistake, so I've changed the uploads. I, uh, they now have the complete set of documentation from Alpha 2 all the way up to present time so that people can catch okay. up. So the one I downloaded just before we went live, is that current? Yeah, it should be. Okay. okay. I mean, it was just the docs I changed, the images. Oh, okay. There's no, 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 uh, nothing changed in the runtime? No. The, bin- the binaries are executable, all the same? Excellent, yeah, and Bill's already hard at work on the next version, so ah. I'm taking a bit of a break. <laughs> okay, okay, much much needed. Uh, grab yourself some Tim Hortons, just expense it to your Coco Crew, uh, you know, account. I mean, Coco yeah. Talk, uh, you know, expense account. Um, <laughs> excellent, Jason, the Coco Man Record. Anything you want to share with us, sir? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be generous in sharing today. I I just wanted to. Really haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I just wanted to bring up the uh, the Wallaby cable that I have now. The uh, the available available now wherever Wallaby cables are sold. It's the dual RGB cable for the Color Computer Three. Uh, matter of fact, you can see you can see behind me there. I have yes. I have a CM8 and a ViewSonic uh, running off a switcheroo a switcheroo and a SCART converter and uh, excellent all the a same switch who. Switch a roo. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. exactly sure what I'd do with that, but I, I want one. <laughs> that, that, yeah, look, there's there's two of them right now. Yeah, Mark Mark Revision D Overholzer's got a couple of those. Yeah, uh, and uh, some of the folks that made it out, it, it, it's debuted at Tandy Tandy Assembly. Yes, uh, and uh, that that was uh, that was the reaction. I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I want. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, one one of my applications I had for this was when I'm testing the switcheroo cables. Rather than uh, after I've built them, I, you know, yeah, first having to them. dig under your cocoa every single time. Yeah, I don't have to dig under the cocoa anymore. Even if I don't use that second port, I sure. can. Uh, it's I can uh, it's the, a, uh, like an extension cord. Right, and uh, and uh, I had uh, I believe it was, uh, I had a fellow at Tandy uh, Jim Brain says, "Oh, look, it's the dingo showing off his wallaby cable." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but I can think of one really good use for it. Is if you're displaying a tent assembly or a Coco Fest, <clears throat> you can have one monitor facing in where you're sitting behind your table if you're a, an exhibitor, and mm-hmm. the other one can be facing the public, and they you both get the RGB instead of one of you having to look at crappy composite. Like hypothetically, if you were going to run people through an admissions process into an event, and you wanted to use Perhaps your Coco to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Or like if you want to do live coding and have people critique you in real time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, Interesting. Jason, uh, with, with your cable there, um, and I hope I'm not uh, opening up a can of worms here, though, but is there a length limit on that cable? Like if a person wanted to have one like that that's two foot long or three foot long for some reason, is there? have you experimented at all with that? I haven't experimented with that much of, of a length with this. Uh, I tried to keep this relatively short. Uh, it's really just about just enough cable to get it out from under the Coco Three. Um, I have had some requ- I have had a request for some longer cable for my my switcheroo, which is something I'm playing around with. He wanted about a two meter or that's about six feet uh, or so cable, and I've been playing around with that. 
my my concerns is using just this regular ribbon cable there may be some noise issues but um that's something i'm i'm looking into but i i haven't um haven't gotten very far with have yeah, you thought same. about sending the rgb cable through packet radio at all or <laughs> <laughs> 1200 baud it's going to take a long time uh I, I knew another ham that he said at the, you know, the point where the internet was popular. He said, um, instead of running 1200 baud packet radio, I could just stick needles in my arm and it would be about the same. You know, it'd be just that painful. But um, <laughs> I mean, packet radio still gets used today, uh, not for the purposes that Dale talks about anymore, but we do have, um, of course, still contacts with, uh, with the space station and, um, Another service, uh, you know, the APRS, it's a position reporting service using using 1200 baud packet. But, you know, when you're just sending out your coordinates and your call sign, it's a 1200 baud. That's that's not a lot of data and it's a really quick burst. Uh, but the other thing with with the with the Wallaby cable is um, a fellow at uh, Tandy Assembly, it was Mr. Mr. Reitveld, uh, said, you know what? I have a multi-pack and I use different monitors and I hate, you know, and it's really tough you know and, and you risk damage to the computer you know plugging and unplugging multi-pack to get under there and he, and he bought one just for that purpose. yeah 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 good point so but uh if anybody wants one they're available and uh at, at cocoman.biz and uh it's how much it, uh they're, they're ten dollars plus shipping so if you go to cocoman.biz i think like shipping in the united states is an additional five dollars and uh i have uh uh, ones for Canada and uh, some other countries. And of course, if there's uh, a different quantity or somewhere I don't have on the list, you know, there's a link to contact me and we can work that out. But um, excellent. Do you, do you yep. still give uh, reports of like the kind of saturation in Uganda or anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're really early into this. I mean, uh, oh, I see. It's a new product, man. New product. Excellent. I think you can probably forecast uh, the uh, market in Uruguay. He'll, he'll reach 100%. 100% saturation. Saturation in just a couple months of that. It, it could happen. I, I, I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Mark Overholzer, anything new and exciting going on for you this week? Besides the haircut? Um, yeah, the haircut. Now, let's see. I got the Coco 3 and the Coco 2 last week. Uh, oh, I did get this really nice boomerang in the mail. Oh, look at that from Nick Morentes, eh? A real boomerang board. A real boomerang. Yeah, it uh, came with this. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, neat. I didn't get one of those with my Popstar pilot. <laughs> did you order it from Australia? Yes. I Did got you, mine from Australia, and all I got was this. All I got was this ones? DVD case with a video that I'm on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, the decent record package there. Yeah, I got I got the video that I'm in with with as you've said with more hair, but I think all of us had more hair 18 or 19 years ago too. <laughs> I think I, Mark I paid a bit more. I did. Yeah, he paid additional out. amount. So I thought, well, I've got to either give him back his money or compensate him. So I compensated. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. I appreciate the authentic boomerang. Have you thrown it yet? No, I haven't. Is it guaranteed to come back? It's supposed to. David Ladd, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried about damaging the paint. It's nicely hand painted with this great. Uh, got this great stuff. <laughs> Does does it have uh, does it have a connection for the DAT board and a blinky light on, and blinky light on it? No, it does not. 
Well, if you're worried about it, you can just throw the DVD case instead. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Rob Inman says that Gunstar will be shipped with a complimentary gun. <laughs> Excellent. I just noticed mine's. I got. I have a signature inside of mine there. It's hard to see, but there's a. No, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one in there somewhere. I'm not. It's been a while since I've held things up to the camera, so I'm just, I'll just, eh. yeah, I gotta, yeah, it's, it's, it's there too. somewhere. Yeah, I can't Nate. see yours either on camera, so we're, we're even. There we go. And, and Rupert Rhythm ships with a grand piano. <laughs> Keytar. <laughs> yeah, Keytar. So Excellent. Don't yeah, a dilemma dilemma's... come with Tim Hortons then? Yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a regional thing. Yeah, yeah. Could be Dunkin' Donuts or it could be Krispy Kreme. You just you just never know. Oh, it's Tim Hortons. So, I should be able to. I should be able to. I should be able to squeeze a donut in there, shouldn't I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and some of those little little jelly filled one that'll get messy. They don't weigh very much, so it shouldn't affect the shipping cost too much. <laughs> they don't go off uh, in two months in the mail, do they? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> then you really do have a donut dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, you do. There you go. Um, very, very cool. Uh, who else has got anything that they want to share this week? Anybody have anything happening? John Lowry, we haven't had you on a little bit. Things good with you? Anything new and exciting? Uh, not Nothing really new and exciting, but, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. And uh, uh, that was a cool interview with Dale. Uh, yeah. Definitely yeah. a name I've heard. Uh, over the years and uh, just another you know in this group you know there's all these names that i recognize yeah exactly exactly yeah it's just cool stuff and it's cool neat it's neat because it, it turns them from more than just a name that i remember from years ago in, into a person and what they're like and yeah. other things they do in their life and stuff it's it's really cool to get that uh from everybody from all the uh the names i recognize from years ago yeah, what were you going to say, Nick? He's got a cool T-shirt. Oh, John does? John does. Oh, the yeah. Pac-Man yeah, T-shirt. Yeah. yeah, you know, this is the one article of clothing that I've owned in my life that I've gotten more comments from than any other piece of clothing I've ever owned. Everybody well, Nick just likes it because it's a screenshot of his version of Pac-Man, I think. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not mine. No, that's, I that's the original. Yeah. That'd be oh, the yeah. transcode. Oh, oh! Speaking of speaking of the Pac-Man and the transcode, I did hear from Glenn Hewlett via email. So he's he's alive and well, and he's doing well. He's had uh, things in life that have been occupying his time, but he just shot a quick note saying that um, he's enjoyed listening to the show and the videos. Um, and you know, hopefully, we'll hear from him next year. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, More importantly. How's his defender going? Yeah. Well, I guess because of everything else, his uh, projects have been on hold. So, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll get, we'll get more on that, uh, maybe next year. Uh, Brian Weasler, anything new and exciting with you? Uh, just a couple of eBay purchases. I don't have them within arm's reach right now, but a couple ROM cartridges I picked up, uh, Starblaze and, uh, Downland Neat. ROM cartridges, but I don't have them with arm reach for show and tell, but I think everybody knows what they are. Downland is evil. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, other than that, uh, nope. And uh, I've been playing around with the uh, the Nitrous Nine. I started uh, messing around with that last weekend and uh, got that all set up on my uh, my computer here. So, so I immediately to... came out with an update. Now you have to do it again. 
Yes. So much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, nope, I'm, I'm on, on track with that one. I had a few questions and uh, Curtis got me straightened out. And so, um, yep. So I'll play around with that and uh, I'm going to start digging around. Neat, neat, neat. And uh, Mark Bosley, anything new and exciting with you? Uh, well, a little bit. I uh, my, uh, got my FCC in last night. Nice. I haven't had much time to play with it much yet. And uh, I was working with uh, Curtis on the score, getting uh, a couple little issues learned out, ironed out. So uh, uh, that's about it so far. Excellent. Looking, excellent. looking forward to you, your your reviews on on the EOU Beta Three here, because especially if you're running on a six eight zero nine, the speed ups on some of the graphic stuff is pretty pretty decent, I think. Yeah, I'm running the uh... I'm running a sixty three zero nine now. Well, it's even faster on that, so that's no problem. But yeah, well, I got to be able to see it first, so I got to fix my uh, cable. Very cool. Very so. cool. And we got our three uh, three video game developers here in the bottom of the screen here. So we'll start on the bottom of the world of Nick Morenti's. Good day, Nick. Uh, good day. Yeah. Um, nothing new to report on my end, except I got my Ed Snyder's Coco PSG cartridge uh, running. I've had it a while, but just haven't had uh, time to use it. So I thought okay. I'd fire it up and and uh, listen to the sound, which yep, got it going. Had a few problems through the week, but uh, sorted out. Actually, one uh, thing I'll mention, yeah. Nick, because we talked about it, and actually, we kind of you demonstrated for me is that uh, we were talking about sound speech games, you know, because Stevie and I did a kind of run through, and one I had not remembered to do, and one you tried and actually does have some sound effects and stuff, and it is interbank incident. Oh, it's yes. all voice, right? It's all speech. No, no, it's not no, sound effects. No, it's like sound effects. And... It actually has sound oh, yeah. effects. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise, I, I apologize for missing the one back in our original review, Stevie. Yeah, well, we'll have to do that. Maybe maybe we'll it, do a uh, interbank live stream marathon. <laughs> it could even be um, of all the games. It could be the one that uses the cartridge the most, uh, both really? voice and sound. Yeah. Hey, okay. that would be a good game to play uh, for a year. Yeah. You know, start on uh, the New Year's year. Eve and start playing it and play it yeah. for a year. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Wow. Very cool. And Paul, the Timberman maker Thayer, how you doing, buddy? Hey, good. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Merry almost Christmas. How you been, Merry, man? Merry almost Christmas to you. It was a really cool uh, interview with Dale Puckett. That was cool to have him on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just. I'm just uh, working on uh, my Soko Bond type game called Pico Prod, and uh, just doing some revamps on that. Um, as I was getting into it, some things were getting complex, and I just rethought and made some things simpler um I was talking to my son last night and we were going to add a couple elements to the game um that i'm kind of excited about um because initially you start out kind of pushing some pegs around um kind of pushing them out of your way to get to the goal pick up a key to open doors things like that um and then i added this uh character as an eyeball and it will it's like a turn-based type follow you. So it's not always constantly moving towards you, but when you move, it'll move closer to you. Okay. And if it touches you, it'll kill you. Um, and there's also lasers that you can push mirrors around and, and bend them. Um, the eyeball would, would not pass any lasers either. Um, and then we thought of a character. Like, I don't know if anybody's like kind of seen some of my videos, but your character's like this little yellow guy kind of bouncing around. 
we were going to make a <clears throat> a shadow character, which is basically this, looks the same, um, but it's gray. And when you move, it moves in the same direction. And he might have to help you solve a puzzle kind of thing. So just just some things to kind of add some depth to it because I'm going to have room for probably doing 40 to 80 levels. I don't know if I'm going to do that many, but I wanted to add some elements so that we could have at least like 20 to 30 and have them not get boring. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Very, very cool. And what about you, Chet? What's been going on with you this week? Oh, the past couple of weeks I've been able to get uh, some stuff running for uh, tutorials that I'm uh, doing for using uh, TileEd and, and uh, uh, the map converter that I've got uh, for doing games. In fact, I'm refactoring all of the digger stuff in order to use it. Um, hoping to get some new updates for that up uh, sometime over the weekend. Neat, neat. These cool. are these are your kind of these are, these are the tools you use to make software. Yeah, these are uh, uh, you know tiled is a, a a free tool that's available already, and then I've got a converter for all of their map stuff. So it, it, it's you know one of those things that makes it a little bit easier to uh, you know to put stuff together, and, and uh, uh, hoping to get a, you know a tutorial up there so that uh, you know uh, some of the people that have been interested in using it will, will be able to uh, actually start uh, you know applying it. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And I I've now have downloaded your latest version of, of Digger 3. I've actually got it on my card, and maybe we can even show off a little peek of that uh, on the show as I go through. That's where we cover the news and stuff. We can show off Curtis's uh, really? Nitrous 9, Beta 3, and I've got Digger 3. Um, for those of you who were all on the um, community roundtable discussion last week, it was Saturday night with the Coco crew, um, nice discussion. I got to hear it. Uh, during the week, so uh, it's very cool to hear things going on. Um, I, I think one of the takeaways I got from that, which was a great question towards the end, was um, are we integrating with the Dragon community as well as we could? And I think unanimously most of us agreed, no, we would like, we'd love to have more involvement with the Dragon folk. And um, so one of the things I did today before, you know, as I was getting ready to post information on the show and stuff. I did throw a message out there in the Dragon Coco group, just kind of reminding them, you know, listen, you know, you guys are always welcome. You know, we have a show every Saturday and we've had a number of the members on and, you know, we'd love to have you. And so I just want to remind you and re-invite you. We would love to have more Dragon people on the show to share, you know, to share their love of that system and, you know, keep us abreast of what's going on in that community. So hopefully we can foster more um, of that. Um and, and I think we've got, you know, we've been trying to talk about some of the news that, as we know it, you know, like the AGD stuff and some of the stuff that Pear's doing with porting some of the ZX Spectrum games to the Dragon and the Coco. So we'll try to call them when we see them, but, we, you know, it's always better to get it from the source. So um, I would love to have a couple of correspondents that just join us once a week or every other couple of weeks and even a segment like the Dragon's Den or the Dragon's Corner or something and just have us talk about what's new, what's new across the pond, you know, or just what's going, even if it's not new, what's old, you know, what's, <laughs> what are the games that we're talking about, you know, so. Yeah, what's, what's old that we have not seen here. Yeah, in, yeah, because there's so much that's, you know, it's, it's, it's old to them, but it would be new to us, so. Um, so now I'm verbally extending that and that invitation as well. Um, you guys are always welcome, but, uh, no, now, good How good many talk. of us on the panel have a dragon? I've I got do. one. I've got the Tano, so I've got the U.S. Dragon, not the U.K. Tano Dragon. 64. Yeah, Tano 64. There's one in Came view right here. 
Yeah, yeah. Ron's got one right over his shoulder, right over his left yeah. shoulder. Yeah. David Ladd has a channel also. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, cool stuff. Good discussion. Um, uh, I, this I, week, this week I got on um, uh, Irata online. Okay, with, yeah. Um, I saw pictures of that. Yeah. Yep. Using Plato term, which I got from Brett. Okay. And uh, it was smooth. It loaded in. I used um, uh, my, um, what did I use? Drive wire, right? Drive wire 4, yes. And it was, you just, actually, if you just have it as drive 1, and as soon as you log in, it comes up automatically. And what's really cool is you have a mouse. (laughs) <laughs> and being online with a mouse is just a little bit weird. Yeah. yeah. Now, now the, did you? Uh, the now, system. The Arata what, system have had a touch screen on the like the version three and four terminals, and so yeah, oh, yeah. mouse is. Yeah. What do you have to boot into to launch Plato Term? Because I remember before there was one that was running on Fuzix, or was it? Is it running on something else now? Is it OS nine? <laughs> is it just run straight in RS DOS or RS DOS? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I noticed the one you were showing us a screenshot from. It looked like it was in the Cocoa 2 mode, like the green, you know, the dark green. Yeah, it is in Cocoa 2. I tried my 3, but it locked up. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why that happened. Maybe I think it's because I have two two meg board on my machine. Ah. Maybe that had something to do with it. I haven't tried it on on a 512K Cocoa yet. Um, Okay. Yeah, the one really nice thing about uh, Plato Term is that actually runs on a Cocoa 1 or 2. Or right. Dragon 64, I would imagine as well. Maybe a- now, I have Composite on my uh, Coco 2, so it was readable, but it's marginal. Okay. Um, so you really have right. to have a good screen. like RGB need- for the win. Yes, you do. Yeah. Okay. On the Coco 3, what I saw of it before it crashed, <laughs> it looked pretty good. I mean, you could read it really well. It was okay. very clean. Yeah. The... Uh- the uh, uh, Plato term screen is five twelve by five. Five uh, twelve by five twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think it's you know, square, it's, based it's on square pixels. By, yeah. Well, <laughs> not so much square pixels, but yeah, yeah. So it actually has to be scaled down for most systems. So. All right. It kind of reminds me of the Vectrix because it writes the lettering out. Ah, okay. It's oh, kind yeah. of the, it's, the, it's the vector based. Right. It's yeah. vector based. Yeah, yeah, Ron me. has a couple of demo videos up on his uh, page. They're kind of showing it in action. So, yeah, in Ron's me. garage, yes. Yeah, that thing he never posts to. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Greg is out there in the live chat saying, "Hey, it's fun watching the train wreck." <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Greg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent um do is there anything else we want to bat around before we start talking about some of the news stuff i've got queued up any burning topics or not burning topics did you get the uh paul shoemaker game update i threw into discord late paul shoemaker update you threw in is this yes yes telling guard yes telling guard thing he's he's got an update on that okay yes i have i have that linked up and queued up cool Um, that looks really cool yeah 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 there was a couple of things um showing off one bit graphics monochrome graphics and uh honestly you it's it's hard to get 
other than text base, you know, ANSI graphics, it's harder to get much more retro than a monochrome one bit <laughs> graphics yeah, mode. Yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. especially low resolution, you know. Um, it looks really good though for the resolution. Yeah, sure. yeah. So it's we'll, one of the times where you have a CM8, which is only RGB, would be perfect for this because it was going to be crystal clear black. Yeah, yeah. You can see every pixel as it was meant to be seen, in full, full, full fidelity. Um, so, so um, this is going to be our last live show before Christmas, right? Christmas is what Tuesday of next week. So. Yeah. This is kind of sort of like our Christmas Eve episode. I don't know if um, you guys maybe want, like, you know how we did a turkey night, a turkey Thanksgiving night thing? So I don't know if you want to do like a real live Christmas Eve brief, you know, just talk about whatever type thing. So maybe we'll just bat that around and see. Is Santa Claus going to come? Oh, yeah, we'd have to be done before midnight. And because we're, you know, cause, because time is a moving target around the globe, we got to pick a time where we can be off the air uh, before midnight. Um, but yeah, so I'll throw that out there. You know, I don't know if you guys want to do something like that. But if not, this will, this is technically our Christmas Eve episode. So uh, if I don't talk to you guys between now and Christmas, hope you guys all do have a Merry Christmas. Um, I was thinking about for New Year's that we could probably do like a year-end review and just talk about some of our favorite moments of what's happened this year in the community between episodes of the Coco Crew and episodes of Coco Talk and maybe things that we remember from Facebook. The only thing that's going to be easy for me to compile is I'll just come up with a list of our episodes and like what the topics were for our 80 some odd episodes or at least we, you know um, and maybe we can just kind of spitball on that and say oh yeah it was great hearing about this or that or whatever <laughs> here's grant coming back saying screw you stevie yeah yep, right yep, back at you a little slow today yeah Dub <laughs> double screw you back to you greg um <laughs> and no take backs um so yeah so maybe we can just do a verbal best of episode talking about you know some of our fond memories and stuff because yeah i'm I'm not going to have time to edit anything. So, um, yeah, good times, good times. So, anything else before we jump into some of the pre uh, pre queued up news articles for the week? Nothing for me. No, no, nope. no. All right, so we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump over to news. And, I'm gonna uh, chat. Thanks for got. Thank you oh, guys. Hey, for no, me no on. problem. No problem. And of course, now here's my. Um, why am I not getting my left screen? <laughs> you gotta love technology, right? Um, somewhere in my doohickey here should be. Shoot. That's a technical term, doohickey. Left monitor here. Yeah. What is going on with the left monitor? That's it. There we go. <laughs> so, why is that not there? Why did that not stay there? I don't know because I've made this change I don't know how many times, and every time I make this change, I could swear that I hit save, and it. But it seems like every time I switch over, I have to um, spend two minutes spitballing trying to find the thing again. All right. So one of the things that's new this week, and I'll be able to show this off. Maybe we'll 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 save the show and tell for after the yeah. news segment. But uh, Nitrous Nine Ease of Use Project Download Page. We are now on Beta Three. And there's a 6309 and a 6809. And Curtis, you want to speak to the enhancements, which I believe mostly uh, benefit 6809 users? Yeah, we 
Bill and I've been working on the graphics drivers, uh, both bug fixing and and speed up enhancements and stuff. So uh, beta two had some the get put buffers basically were sped up, which is why the bouncing ball demo ran faster. And now uh, screen clearing, line drawing, bar drawing, filled circle, field ellipse, cleared end of screen, cleared end of line, all those routines have been sped up. So stuff like G shell runs noticeably faster if you compare it between the two, between beta two and beta three. And someday what I'd like to do, I didn't get a chance to set it up for a video, but I just to say, show how far we've come since the original OSI level two days, I would love to show what, first of all, what G shell looked like back then, which was terrible, and also how <laughs> slow it was. Compared yeah. to what we're doing now, I mean, we're literally multiple times faster on just about everything. So it'd be nice to kind of see how it's progressed just as a historical thing. So this would be the equivalent of like pulling out one of the photos of your mullets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put any digitized pictures of my mullets on there. I did throw a bunch of GIFs in there. Yeah. Or GIFs, depending on how you pronounce it. So yes, uh, did. there's a few I, I specifically threw on for Ron. There's a few space oriented ones. So yeah, I've seen them. Had a chance good. To Oh, you did see him? Okay. Yeah, awesome. Okay. And I fixed up some sound files. Uh, we got the graphics speed ups. There's a couple of new games installed. Uh, control panels, a separate run. They kind of described it there, and the, the docs actually go into a bit more detail. But there's a few, few little bits of changes there. Okay. New programs for both both CPUs. Excellent. And I think I've got them both um, downloaded to my Coco SDC, so we'll, we'll take a look at one of those. Um, so the John Lowry posted this picture here, which is great because this is a follow-up to, um, uh, Ron Delvaux's Coco watch that he showed up on the show <laughs> last week. And so this is a slightly, this one's got a few more features apparently. So it looks like it's got the communications module on the side and a ROM cartridge slot. It's got a real time clock on there. So, <laughs> so that's pretty damn cool. Uh, it's great to see what uh, you know. Imagination. Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. Had an eight track there, and it's all ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Did you also see the uh, Apple Watch thing I did? Uh, from it's on on the post that Ron did with his uh, watch Coco thing. Oh, I don't know, but I'm not going to go digging for it now. If you if you throw out the link, I'll try to find it. But yeah, it's it's, okay. in the, it's down under under this one. Yeah, it's you know they it, there's so many respondents that uh, yeah yeah this is one of the ones that John posted. So um, anyways, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. So we'll have to look for that one. But yeah, so Ron had threw up a picture of his Cocoa watch last week, and this was uh, this was John's response to that good stuff um now uh, we had the conversation this was also mentioned on uh, the roundtable discussion you guys were having about frank hogg he said he had bought up a bunch of gimmies but he doesn't remember what happened to him and then ron got the information right and what was the deal right. there ron he said that he had sold them to a company he didn't know the name of <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> but a company that used the cocoa for an industrial controller bought them all Yep. So he had them, and then he sold them all off. We don't remember who that company is, but they're now gone, right? So, so they're like sitting in somebody's. They're sitting in somebody's inventory on a shelf. Yeah, yeah. What a shame! Nice eighty-seven. Give me there. Yep. So hopefully that'll that'll um, spark you know more interest in the Gimme X, right? Yep. Um, now, last week, we, we or a week or so ago, we started showing off the um, the rainbow mock-up that Ron Delvo did about a year ago, right? So we, the, the discussion happened. People got excited. 
Um, <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be neat if there'd be a rainbow? And Ron actually went as far as producing a 20-some-odd-page rainbow um, in, in a PDF format, in electronic format. Um, we did throw up a website. More like 36. Or whatever like it was, 36. yeah. So it was a lot. So we had an initial mock-up, and um, you know there was like, some excitement, and then, I don't know, I, I don't know where it went. It kind of didn't go anywhere, right? Um, so then this sparked another kind of mock cover where Ben Jimenez says, yeah, you know, here's my, here's my idea of a, um, of, of a new Coco magazine, right? So <laughs> wouldn't this be some cool features here? 1024 colors and beyond, right? That'd be nice, right? Color basic 4.0 is here with over 50 new commands. <laughs> SIM card <laughs> adapter for your color computer. This is almost getting into um, like the Coco Forever, right? Like, you know, an alternate reality if we had had all this kind of... 37 new games for the Color Computer 4, including Minecraft, Fortnite, and Battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need more 1024 colors for that, don't you? Yeah, right. Using the Color Computer's... The Color Computer 4's built-in basic compiler. <laughs> I mean, those are some great wish list items. If you you know, if you if you want to spitball and say what would be nice to have, you know, why not have all of these things here? So, yeah, that's a really cool. Um, Re-review the Color Computer 4 code name Chico. <laughs> Color Computer Magazine, right? So that's a really cool mock-up there. Of course, that gets some conversations going. It gets the the people talking, um, and then um, and I think you linked over Ron to your to the one you had put I yeah, guess, on your site, right? Mark Overholzer um, got people stimulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get we'll we'll get to that one. I got that link here too. This speaking of one bit graphics, right? So this was something that Ben Jimenez posted where he had converted some stuff down to run on the Cocoa, and this looks really good. Right. This is so. This is like P mode zero stuff, and here's a mock-up screen. Looks like of, clip art, don't it? Uh, it almost does look like uh, like something you'd see on a Photoshop or what are the print masters and the print shop programs and stuff that used to print things out that were very low res um, stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. I'd love to see something like this. Um, so uh, working on getting some graphics into my game for use for player encounters. P mode zero graphics below. Made a simple tool to convert graphics from my PC to Coco code. So that's kind of neat. So I guess you could just pull some images off the internet if you wanted to and, and convert them down to run on the Coco. So those look pretty good. I love, I, these look nice. I would love to see any type of game that featured some images like that. Um, anybody got any feedback on this here? What you saw, what you thought? No, it looks really good, and and Paul Shoemaker's Telengard clone that will be coming up to a little bit later is kind of along the same lines with some really nice detailed graphics. Yeah, black and white. Nice. Now, I think. The... Go ahead. Oh, it's just nice seeing all these new games that are coming out. People getting motivated and making new stuff. Right. Now, I think Nick Morentes was mentioning on one of these that he was be he mentioned that this might artifact. But I think P mode fours or P mode zeros pixels are big enough where they really shouldn't artifact, right? Because they're double wide. Right. It's, oh, is, is that P mode zero? Is it P mode zero? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think I think the the I don't think a solid white would artifact, right? You'd probably get color fringing on the edges of the um, pixels. Yeah, but that's that's possible. Either, either way, you can just turn the color down on the on the composite TV anyway. Yeah. 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 
or use some kind of RGB display. Yeah. Well, yeah. But if this is running on a standard Coco 2, yeah, you might yeah. not have yeah. that. So just turn the color down. We used to do it all the time in the back in the 80s because none of the artifacted games um, looked correct um, right. on a PAL Coco. So I used to just turn the color down so you didn't get all that um, ugly color fringing. Right, right. So that'll be the same. Yeah. And while we're talking about this, there has been a sidebar conversation in the live chat about is there is there ever been a game on the Coco that would be similar to like a Street Fighter style game? And I think a few people have been chiming in on that. Like what, like some one newer... on one. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Nick Morenti showed off a title screen of something he had worked on where he had kind of like screen, almost like his version of Mortal Kombat where he had screen captured a real human being um, for a potential fighting game. But what were some decent... Or were there any decent Coco 3 fighting games, even if they're like the side-scrolling brawlers or anything like that? Time Guy would be about the only one I can think of. Yeah. yeah. And then Ninja Dude. Now, they're mentioning, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Shaolin Master on the Dragon. I haven't even seen that one. So, once again, yeah. we need the Dragon guys to really help us out yeah. with this character. I'd love to see that one. Yeah. I don't know, Davey Mitchell, if you're still there, I don't know if you heard our cry for, for Dragon people to help keep us educated of what's going on but you, david you know you're welcome you're in discord and you're here in the live chat we definitely want to have more people from the dragon community uh involved um so we can represent that machine i'm just not as educated as to what's going on with that um <laughs> jim franklin says david lad kung fu master <laughs> he may, if, if you can if you can snatch the floppy from my hand you are ready grasshopper <laughs> Yeah, throwing um, discs. You know. Yeah, that would be. I know it would be neat to see a neat little fighter game, even if it's not. I don't know that. The, listen, a detailed background would be nice, but if we had to cut cycles to get speed, um, it would be kind of cool. Even if it was just on a simple black and a black background, but just have some good fighting mechanics in a Coco game with with some def decent frame rate would be nice, right? Um, yep, yep, yep. Um, cool stuff. So yeah, I would love to see something like this in these in these low pixel um, modes here. So Benjamin, as keep us posted on what you're working on there. Love to see uh, more of that. Um, and then here's here's Mark D. Overholzer, the community instigator. So Mark is so the, Mark has now uh, been appointed. Mark is the Rainbow Committee uh, leader. So, Mark, tell us what kind of uh, stuff you're stirring up here and what, what do you think is going to happen now that you're cracking the whip? Well, uh, yeah, I saw the uh, little post Ron threw up, and we just, this came up last week. Ron threw up a link to his, uh, you know, the mock-up he did last year, and there was a couple uh -huh. of comments from a couple of people. And then uh, Ben Yemen is, uh, you know, posted uh, the, his mock-up cover of a modern version. And I was thinking, you know, you know, we talked about this, you know, a year ago, but I don't remember that Ron directly asked anybody you know, would you, would you, uh, you know, could you commit something? Could you, you know, sit down and do something? So I thought, yeah, well, you know, we've got all these new Coco people here now. So why not just say, hey, this is a cool idea. We had some interest. Would you be willing to step up and deliver an article? And okay. I actually posted a bunch of names for you there in the, in the uh, uh, Zoom chat. But there's right, people right. Yeah, we could do that. Right. So, um, this is who seems to be able to contribute to the end of the year 2018 wrap up. So you've also said, listen, 
Let's not worry about a whole monthly publication or a regular thing. Let's right. just get one episode done. So 2018 yep. wrap up for uh, to be like a 2018-2019 rainbow. So you got Ben Jimenez, Jason Downs, David O'Connor, Ian Maverick, Joel Avi, Avi, Terry Trapp, uh, John Whitworth, uh, who's a Dragon hardware developer, and Alan Huffman. So um, and myself and yourself. Okay. And Ron. Yeah. And Ron Elvo, yeah. celebrity yeah. celebrity interview wrangler. So, yeah. So the thing is this, is that, listen, I think it's a great idea. I support it. I would love to see it. But um, what we've seen from last year to this year was, once again, it was, it was something that everybody got excited about. And excitement and posting a comment and enthusiasm are great, but accountability and deliverability are really the goals here. And other than Ron Delvo, who, like I said, put together something nice, not a lot came from last year's excitement over Rainbow Magazine. So now what we need is, here's a list of names who are going to commit to this. Um, so, and, and, and we need, we need uh, you know, you need a project manager here to stay on top of this. So Ron Delvo, you're taking the reins on this? I mean, um, um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll do the art. Ron's gonna do the, the art, and yeah. um, and Mark Overholzer is gonna be right. taking the reins on this, right? Mark's yeah, gonna put be, it on me. Yeah. yeah, for this first one anyway. We'll work together on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's I what said, you need. You you need somebody to say because this is the problem when you're dealing with a collective, when you're dealing with a community. Everybody's excited, and you ask, you sent, you send out a request to everyone. Hey, everyone. Can you help us out here? But everyone isn't a person. Everyone's not accountable for anything. But if you get, uh, you know, John Smith says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the brownies. And this person's going to bring the uh, fruit punch, you know, and you get somebody to kind of say, this is what I'm going to do. Then it's a whole different story, right? That's, so, that's what I did. Everyone yeah. needs that. Could Don't you bring by the 31st of January? Yeah. And everybody yeah. said, yeah, we should be able to do that. So there yeah. we go. Don't bring br brownies that have bite marks. <laughs> don't bring brownies that have bite marks right okay there you go and you have to watch the brownies from canada now since <laughs> heard about so so i am very um i am very um enthusiastic about what could potentially come from here and i think we were talking about this why hasn't there been a rainbow magazine why don't we have this and we've been very fortunate for the past four years, like we've had the Coco Crew podcast, which has been like a monthly digest for us to listen to. I think, you know, it's easier to produce something when you don't have to get into page layouts and, and creating a digital magazine or, or you know, a paper magazine. So um, podcasts are kind of like the new magazines in a sense. So we've had, we've been fortunate that we have Facebook where we can consume on a daily basis. We've got uh, the monthly podcast. We've got this show. So um, we, are, we are filling a similar function or, you know, filling that void to a degree, but nothing beats uh, something tangible. So it'd be great to have something you can put your hands on and say, yeah, this is really cool, you know. Um, so I support the notion. And, and if, it's, if it's something that's for sale, I'll buy it. But I, I was very clear before saying, you know, it's like, dude, I, I don't have time to take on another project. So I threw up a website and a domain name before to give people something to play with, but I just don't have time. Um, and I was at least realistic about that and didn't even try to fool myself to think I would. But um, if somebody does, you know, God bless you and, and take my money, you know, when it's ready. Well, we also talked about the fact that um, if we call it the rainbow again, yeah, uh, are we worried about um, any comebacks or should we? 
just call it color computer magazine and yeah yeah or the that news. was also a magazine too though you'll have to check in that one too yeah, yeah so the coco community news whatever the name yeah. is even not important right now just let's get it done yeah, get her done content content uh, sure. How about how about we just call it Ron Delvaux's magazine? That way, yeah. you, you can improve <laughs> it all. Ron's garage, <laughs> Ron Delvaux's Coco magazine. Yeah, uh, uh, you have my permission to call it the Coco Talk thing. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. Coco Talk thing. The Coco Talk thing. The Coco Talk well, document of some form or another. We'll uh, have it in. Uh, in uh, <laughs> you know that commercial with the '60s look. You know, Coco Rap. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, Stevie, just to go back to the previous story, or not previous story, but the previous comments in the chat room about uh, the Kung Fu games and stuff. Yeah. I just threw up the link in the chat there with uh, screenshots of that Dragon game. It actually looks pretty good. Oh, yeah? Shaolin Master. Okay. So I'll pull that up, and we'll get Different to that. In a, oh, wow. Yes, that does look good. If you click on the pictures, it'll zoom them up a bit, too. Yeah. Okay. So Shaolin Master, the animated epic by Quick Beam Software, written by David Gibbons. Uh, how do we switch images now? Just go back. Oh, I can't just hit next? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think the... Yeah, that looks pretty good. And can I make it any bigger? That's what she said. Um, now, look at these. Yeah, see, now this is nice here because the background is above the guy, so you don't have to worry about erasing and you know restoring your backgrounds and managing all that transparency. Right. Yeah. So um, that looks good. Yeah. But it, yeah. it looks like it's based on the same game as the DICOM one, um, Karate Master, Karate. I think you just called it Karate. Okay. Uh, it's based yeah. on our arcade game. Okay. Right. And so what, what you have here is you have the referee, and so he's counting the scores, and if you get your hits and things like that, right? So. And you had a whole ton of different things. If your joystick was a certain spot, and then you hit a button, and then you did a kick, and other times you do a punch, and et cetera. Yeah. Um. There's yeah. a lot of dragon stuff we, we really need to review because there's a lot of stuff I've never yes. seen. Before, yeah, so. absolutely. And this looks like me after an episode of After Dark. I'm just on the floor, passed out. So um, very cool. Must be level one. Nope, <laughs> Shaolin Master. Yeah, very effective characters that you get the point across. You know that these are a couple of fighting dudes. Um, hopefully the animation looks as good as the stills do. To see these guys in action, the movement and stuff. Um, no, that looks really good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the cassette looks good here. Oh, here's like here's a picture of the title screen itself. So you had a semi, semi graphics title screen for it. Shaolin Master, the animated epic. Please wait while loading from Quick Beam Software. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. There are so many dragon titles that we as uh, as lazy Americans we just don't know about them. Yeah. And and also being a lazy American, I'm not going <laughs> to try real hard to learn about them. But if somebody's kind enough to share that information, I'll gladly share it with other people too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about the dragon market too is because England didn't officially get the Coco Three uh, come out, so the dragon people kept working on the Coco One Two platform longer and pushed it harder. I think than yeah. we did because yeah. most of us switched over. So. There's some ah. pretty darn impressive games. Now, see, this is great, too. This is a great part of the archive where we've actually got the instruction card scanned, right? So this would be the fold-up. Uh, here's your moves, right? So this is actually showing us the different moves of, of how to have your joystick in your different directions for your left player or your right player. So they're numbered. So um, you have jump up. You have position two is high punch. Position three is 
is move right, uh, low punch in kneeling position, right? Uh, five is duck, position six is back somersault, position seven, move left, right? And then it gets on. Um, and then we get into the higher numbers too, right? So then you, and then so was it with the button? Did that activate the second round? Owning, owing, owing to the number of moves necessary to this game, control mm -hmm. is by joystick only. So I'm wondering how you got the second set of moves here. That's for the second joystick. Um, that's for the right person on the right joystick. It's basically mm. repeating. Actually, no, it's second. No, it's not. It's a whole other second set of moves. So you, know, you have drop kick, high kick, medium kick. So I'm wondering if you have to hold the button for button. one set, button down for one set of moves, and maybe button up for another. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I mean, it's here. Probably. That's probably what it was. To get the other. Sound, break, abandons current game, changes color from green, changes color to yellow. Um, changes to monochrome black and white mode. Nice. Changes color mode default. Um, yeah, I wonder about that. But this is great how their archive has, um, you know, the pictures of the cassette cover and all kinds of stuff, right? So um, I love it. I love it. I like it. Um, definitely looks like something I'd want to play with. So it's it's one of my projects is to fire my dragon up and, and to play some real dragon games on a real dragon. So, um yeah, this I one like might it. actually play on the Coco without too much translation too, because the main play is is joystick based, and the joystick's yeah. right between the two. Right. The keyboard, you'd have to figure out some of the key remappings, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now James has posted a link to a YouTube video. Is that something you need me to pull up, James? Am I going to get copyright flag for that? I'm not even sure what James is. Uh... It's a Red Meanies. Oh, the it's Ultimate Pac-Man game. Okay. The 3D Pac-Man one. Uh, I'm afraid to click on this, James, but I will. Uh, YouTube has not been too good to me. Oh, this is a, uh, is it a Coco game? Looks like it could be. This was a dragon, dragon game, if I remember, wasn't it? Oh, dragon? dragon? I can't remember. But it could be. Yeah. If I remember, it's a 3D Pac-Man, yeah. Ah, look at this. Yeah, okay. It's one of the ones there. he's thinking about doing a, um, virtual reality Oh, like neat. Uh, so this would be cool for VR. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got the eating... ghost turn blue and you run over ah, the car. I got scared. Ghost popped up on me. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really cool. It's moving it pretty quick, too. drone except with the Pac-Man theme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. There's a blue ghost. He just ate him. Oh, there's a red ghost. Oh, no. Um, no, that's cool. I don't hear any sound on it. Oh, maybe because I have my sound turned off. There we go. There we go. Ooh. No copyright snags for that. No. Except maybe for Atari. Yeah. Sorry, we copyrighted that. Is that the GMC? <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's typical Coco sound right there. Alright. Yeah, kind of scrubbing through the video here. That's yet another dragon game we never saw. Yeah, so many dragon games that us lazy Americans and even worse, lazy Canadians have never seen. So um, That should be a new segment, dragon games we've never seen. Yeah, dragon games we've Actually, never seen. Actually, you probably seen. could get like a year's worth of episodes at least. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, that looks yeah, really good. Kinda, kind of interesting to see which of these, you know, if you could get it to run on a maybe a Coco 2 or... Yeah. Should be able yeah. to. Yeah, it should run fine. Like I said, the key mappings, you might have to patch or figure out what the different keys 
remapped to, but the games themselves should work fine because the sound, the joystick, joystick. And video hardware are all identical. Now, are, are, because these are European games, are the enemies more polite? Terribly sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to kill you there, old man. <laughs> I see. Um, no, that looks good. Good show. Good show. No, but they know how to spell correctly, at least. They so. know how to spell Kalur. <laughs> I, when I'm drinking my liqueur, I like to play in Kalur. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. You can't. That's the new Ed Snyder, Ed Snyder sound chip we just heard there, right? So <laughs> that's on the new mega mega multi pack. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, to those who who have committed to working on this new thing, this new magazine or publication or document, whatever you want to call it, um, I definitely look forward to seeing that. And um, and and thank you, um, thank you, Mark Overholzer, for taking the mantle there, and for Ron Dovo for what you've already done, and what you will hopefully continue to do. We need we need more Coco content. There just can't be enough, right? So, good stuff. And I look uh, and I look forward to that. Good good stuff. And speaking of which, <laughs> as Ron was saying earlier, right? Ron Dovo has nominated Ed Snyder of Man of the Year. Um, <laughs> we'll think about all he's done. Yeah, absolutely. A wor hard-working guy. Absolutely, and and we need to have um, we need to have the sexiest uh, Coco community member too. And I nominate David Ladd for that. So um, he'd win just based on his head alone. <laughs> just uh, uh, all the smoke clears, and then there he is. <laughs> he's the smoothest operator, that's for sure. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So just you know, you gotta throw out these ideas, you know, and yeah, just get, get the like get, the same with the watch. You know, that fostered somebody to think and talk about stuff. So yeah. I throw this up, throw that up, and that's what I do. Rondelvo, community yeah. instigator. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Stirring S star dot star star star. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff there, Ronnie. <laughs> so now, Ed's a pretty humble guy. He doesn't, he's not too vocal all the time. Did he comment on this at all? Ed Snyder himself? I don't think he did. No. Okay. And um, I've asked him to come on the show. And yeah. I don't get anything. Well, Ron, you are gonna, you're going to achieve legendary status. If you get Ed Snyder on here, you have achieved legendary status. And I tried to get uh, um, our uh, Coco TV guy to come on. Oh, uh, yeah. Taylor. Roger Taylor? Yeah, but he, he says he can't do it. He's busy. Yeah, yeah, and he said it many times. He's like, I'm a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way it is. With centerfolds. We, we got a request. Please, no centerfolds. Imagine <laughs> 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 a two-page two spread of David Ladd. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's a scary oh, spot. Lord. Uh. Doing that famous Bill Gates pose when he was kind of like laying on the table there back in his Microsoft days. Yeah. Ed Snyder, man of the year. Um, and now here we go. What is this Aeon? You posted this here. So these are some more screenshots. Speaking of monochrome graphics, and so this AGD, this uh, adventure uh, arcade game designer kit, which is going to let us not only create new games, but also port a lot of existing games. So we got all these screenshots here of. Um, 
I wonder if I, how you pronounce it. And it was, see, when I got confused, I looked at this and it was like, there's like eight or nine disc images. So I don't know, do we need all these disc images? And there's a disc, there's a VDK, a disc, a VDK. There's part one, there's, there's, there's part two. There's four discs in the set that you need. The, the two are just two different formats. Okay. So you need, formats. you need four discs to play the game? Yeah. Now, how do I make this picture bigger? I don't know if yeah. I can. I don't think you do. But um, this is, so this is high resolution monochrome. And on a and on a dragon, they didn't have artifacting at all, so they can see it in the glorious black and white. But this looks really good. This looks yeah. really really good. So um, think about it. You know, the original TRS80 was monochrome. They had some pretty good looking games. Original Mac was monochrome. They managed to pull off some good looking games. Yeah. Um, Did you see the update I posted too? I posted it was from the Coco listserv, but I posted the text of Pear's message because he's mentioned like how the whole development system how far they've gotten on it, what it exactly does, what they have to do by hand still. Is that in Discord? Now, there's, there's two other four game packs coming out soon, too. Yeah, Is that in Discord? In Discord? Uh, yeah. Okay, so he said, from the Cocoa list from Pear Surratt, um, detail, details on the AGD suite. And so for those of you who are not in Discord, you know, this is what it looks like. We share information here, right? So uh, no doubt we will release the whole Cocoa Dragon suite, despite by now we are turning a bit uh, tuning a bit better with every new re uh, release game. Sometimes yeah, Pear's first language is not English. Just it so only requires a uh, change in the compiler. But in other cases, we have required adding more bat files to perform new tasks. Um, so what do we have here? What's going to become with the suite? A convert exe to extract the data in scripts from the zx snapshot. An agd dragon exe compiler that creates the assembly source code for the 6809. Um, an image converter, data reordering from the ZX to the 6847 format. Oh, that's cool. Um, these three elements are programmed in C under Wim. Oh, so this is like a Windows tool then too, right? So yeah. an assembler compiler by Karen Anscombe. Uh, that's Sixy from those of you who don't know, who's our uh, guy who makes XROR. Yeah. Um, right. Um, a tool to deal with the Dragon Discs. A tool to deal with Coco Discs, which is Image Tool by Mess, an emulator to test those discs, XROR by Karen, and a lot of batch files to allow things to be done massively. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have released only five games. I have two more packs of four games that will be delivered soon. Um, the amount to only 13 games, let's say by 150. Oh, so this amounts to um, 13 out of about 150. So quite a lot to be worked on, tested, and released. Um, this gonna, so this is the Coco Dragon Suite. It will be only used to convert the already programmed ZX Spectrix games. Um, but but 150 games is yeah. uh, is it's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's really good. So thank you, Pear, for working on that. Um, that's a great tool. It's going to bring new li like we're we're sitting here talking about how there's so many dragon games that already exist that we don't know about, and now we're going to be introducing 150 new spectrum p potential yeah. games to the Coco and the Dragon. So, um, good time for games, right? Um, yeah. And if, I guess the goal would be eventually this this arcade game designer would becomes a toolkit where you could build your own games. It's like a, you know level editor and and a game engine and compiler where you could design the games and put the pieces together press play and have it make the Coco game for you, right? Yeah, and that's basically what it does on the Spectrum. So I think that yeah. is probably the eventual long-term goal. But for now, even just getting 150 games converted without having to right. scratch. That's yeah, yeah, that's great. So thank you, Pear, for, for doing that. That's awesome. 
Um, and there's a, there's a handful of other tools that you've mentioned, Curtis, that have existed, like the Dino Sprite has yeah. been out there for a while. Um, you know, Chet Simpson's been talking about how he's got his tools. He's, he's making public and he's going to be working on some tutorial videos for those. Um, that's great. Um, so good stuff, are they, right? Are they going to be taking any, um, color computer games and doing them back the other way? We don't really have a generic engine like that, that I know of. I mean, there was one back in 82 or 83, there was an arcade game designer cartridge. I remember being advertised but i don't know of anything actually made from it so i don't know how popular it was but the whole point of this is that it's one generic engine that the spectrum has that you just design with their game designer and it creates the code and creates the program to run the game yeah. so you basically have this one nice central tool that does everything for you under the hood and we don't have the equivalent on the coco except now that you know he's porting it if you yeah. can eventually port the um the part that creates the games on the spectrum for, for you to create a game from scratch well yeah. then yeah great stuff that would work back on the spectrum the other way around right 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 yeah one yeah so if it if yeah so if you have this one master tool that can create the system dependent binary so you have the, you, the same tool could create a cocoa binary that could create a spectrum binary then we could create new games that would work on two systems right yeah. um, kind <clears throat> of a cross-platform um game engine it's like 8-bit java yeah that would be cool all right, so this is the video you pointed to from Paul Shoemaker, right? He posted yeah, it was, this. It was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is. All right, so I don't know if we have sound on here, but we'll we'll rewind this thing. And I love what Paul has here. He's got uh, his wallpaper on his PC is a Coco. So as we're looking at the emulator here, we have a Coco kind of uh, uh, bezel around it, right? So very cool stuff. And I think he mentioned in the post that he's about 80% done the game, so this is actually getting pretty close. Dungeon Crawl. Look at that. That's a nice-looking title screen there. There's and a lot of good a... monochrome graphics going on right now. Yeah, welcome to Dungeon Crawl. Would you like to start a new... Oh, it's rolling your characters, your constitution. Look at that. What is your name? David Ladd. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you descend got a nice descend into the depths of the dark dungeon prepare yeah and it loads up pretty quickly too yeah it's loading pretty quick i love how it just pops up you just you walk into the room you find gold you see some gold you've snagged the gold yeah and his yeah. p mode for black and white graphics here are really nice just like some yeah ones. absolutely oh and it looks like there's a timer so it's kind of turn-based slash real time so you can't sit there forever yeah uh fight so it's somewhat real time. somewhat semi-real time huh SRT. <laughs> yeah. Level one ex exorist, huh? Uh, now it looks like my video is buffering here. What's going on here, bandwidth? Um, I have this issues with Facebook sometimes. I get this this um, buffering crap. Yeah, it gets All stuck. Right. Yeah, I've had that too. Yeah. All right. Now that looks really cool, Paul. Uh, good work on that. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do with just black and white graphics and make them look nice. Um, it's really more with what you do than anything else. Yeah. Um, cool stuff. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah, this, I would definitely play a game like this. You know, this looks like this is a combination of Dungeons of Daggerath and Rogue. You know, a little bit of both. Yeah. You get some of the real-time stuff. You get guys that, you know, you come in and you have to do your combat with it. So somewhat turn-based, somewhat real-time. Um, and it looks good. And I love this genre. I love a fantasy-style game, a Dungeons & Dragons-style game. It's always some of my favorites. Um, cool, cool, cool yep. stuff. 
And what else we got? Okay, Chet Simpson's digger. He this is something he he posted before he went away for his little uh, work break. I have this downloaded. Um, I have it on my Cocoa. Maybe we can show this off. So this is the Digger 3 version 101A. So we got that going. Um, and then we just were looking at this Shaolin. So um, I think that's what I had um, uh, saved up this week for, for new stuff. Anybody else got anything else worth worthy uh, of talking about? In Discord, and I can't remember which group it was, posted some Jim Gary Christmas thing I think he did. Uh, was that in the planning production? Here we go. Found it. Oh, you found it? Okay. Yep. <clears throat> Hopefully the music's not copyright. <laughs> oh, there's sound statements. I don't know. Yep. YouTube freaking. Was actually Pretty really good. good. Yes. That was actually really good. I want to see that again. I want to see it again. Come on, Jim. Let's see some more Jim Gary. job as always jim gary never fails to disappoint i'm going to copy and paste that link i'll put it in the live chat here on youtube if anybody wants to pull that up run Make that sure applause you... button yeah never fails to impress you mean never fails to... what did i say <laughs> oh did i say that did i say that okay never fails to impress was the word i was looking for sorry about that that's what I get for not having a good night's sleep in like a month. Um, never, never, he never disappoints. He, he, he never, he, whatever. He I'm sorry, Jim. In between yeah, those. I'm sorry. He must I... have been thinking of David Ladd. <laughs> <laughs> he always, he always delivers. He never disappoints. I'm sorry, Jim. I am, my brain is shot. What, what can I tell you? But thank you. Thank you. You're too kind, and thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind, and thank you. <laughs> I think Stevie's had enough. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to not having to teach night classes anymore, so hopefully I get my sleep and my sanity back. Um, cool stuff. Yeah, thanks Thanks for posting that, um, James Diffendaffer, for reminding us that that's out there, and thank you, Jim Gary, for all that you do. Um, cool, cool, cool stuff. Oh, it's been a scant three hours here on Coco Talk, and um, has the world had enough? Do we have more? Uh, do we have a tech dump? Do we have a core dump? Do we have any type of dump? Um, I don't really, but uh, I was just looking at um, the uh, screenshots there by Jason uh, playing uh, Zaxxon there, showing the um, CM8 black and white screen and then simultaneously seeing the uh, artifacted composite. 
So you can see the color difference. And that just reminded me, I actually have a picture uh, on my desktop of, um, I'll just see if I can bring it up, just to show people who um, who are wondering what does PAL look like um, when it's um, uh, showing composite. So um, I'll just bring up the picture. I have got one here. And you can see what we were putting up with all those years in the 80s. Okay, now I've just got to share it. Oh, we still have to show off Nitrous 9 Beta 3 and then possibly the Gold Digger, but I want to make sure we're not missing any segments. Um, all right, well, this is uh, yeah. this is real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here it comes. So that's a close-up of a, a screen that says, you know, if the screen is red, hit one button, yeah, if the screen yeah. is blue. Well, we never saw red or blue. <laughs> that's yeah. what we saw, you know, that ugly uh, purple and I green suppose. stripes. Yeah. And so, yeah, imagine all those artifacted games, and that's what they look like. So, yeah. yeah. There was no option that's for if all. this is purple and black, then continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got to now hang up. Hang on a sec. Damn, this damn computer. <laughs> if only. Uh, if only, that's right. Mm. I can't get to the other damn screen. Stop sharing. Yeah. I'm trying to get to it. Oh, there it is. I found it. Stop sharing. There you go. You're in control again. All right. All right. Well, how about we do this? Since um, since one of our news articles today was um, uh, Nitrous 9 Beta 3, and I do have my Coco 3 up here. Curtis, which version should I be running now? I should be running the 6809 version, correct? Yeah, that's the one that's got the... <clears throat> the biggest speed ups and it's almost parts of it are almost running as fast as the six nine version and, and some are running you know noticeably faster but nowhere near the six or nine version that's blasphemy okay. blasphemy loading some standard utilities have we broken the 49 font barrier yet okay so <laughs> actually on beta 4 i got to remove a few because i found a couple are duplicated they were just named differently for some reason <laughs> what's today's day today's the 22nd all right and so we have does this do 24 hour time yes it's 24 hours this is very important once, to get the once, right once time beta here we'll pull have it so you can pull it from a clock chip or the drive wire or whatever you know to keep typing starting it windows why does it say starting windows when it's nitrous nine <laughs> ah, it fired up two windows in the background that's what ah. the five and six are if you hit clear right now you'd go see them. the back tasks yeah This is the part Nick's complaining about. This takes too long, and he's right. I have to optimize this. Yeah, I don't know if you really need all this uh, text chatter on the screen. I just, like a Mac, just leave it blank. Well, I'm doing it now because if it's something crashes, I can help somebody. Like, how far did it go on the screen before it crashed? So I can identify where, where it's crashing. Mm. All right. I like, so I'm I like now the in Linux here. method where it has a, a screen over the top, so it looks nice and pretty. But if you hit escape, then you can see, oh, this is what we're doing. Oh, that's what failed to load. Okay, I'm here. Yep, type G shell. All right. I'm going to get my joystick ready. Okay, and here we are. Yep. So, with like the background screen clearing, if you remember the old beta 2 or earlier, that you could actually literally watch it draw coming okay. down the screen. And now it's almost instantaneous. 
And so this is the 6809 version too. Yeah. And the, and now, the, the, one the, of the trash can is, is the most detailed one here because this represents <laughs> Nick's opinions of the operating system. So <laughs> <laughs> That's why I spent so much time on it. To make that clear. Um, but you'll notice one thing, you can actually move the mouse down to the bottom of the screen, which is a bug fix. Oh, video. yeah, it's off screen now. Because uh, the bottom eight pixels were not reachable before. I don't okay. Know why that was done? Uh, there's a couple new games if you want to check them on the games directory. Um, what do I do? Go to DD. Yeah. Well, how, what can I pull up to show how fast you've improved the uh, line draw stuff? Um, the demo. If you go into demos. Well, this run on a Coco one. David O'Connor is asking. Now, this is Coco three uh, here. No, Coco three only. It'll run on an emulator. Okay. And then uh, demo, I think, is the, the standard G shell demo. And then you can resize it. Or you can move the window where you want to be. And you can now drag it all the way to the bottom. And this, I got to figure out, they did some weird palette settings, so it's losing the menu. It's still there. You just have to move the cur cursor up to the near the upper left there. Just click, and it'll pop it down. Oh, you click the close, close button by accident. Oops, I got to figure that one out. I'm not sure what exactly is causing that menu to disappear. I think it's hard coded for a certain screen size or something. Okay, so I'm not making it fully too big. All right, so what I do now? Click on demos. Yeah. And bars is probably the best demo. Okay, so this uses using your your speed up routines now. Yeah, and this is literally probably twice as fast as the previous yeah. version. Yeah, no, it's very very fast. Yep. And filled circle, filled ellipse does that too. Bars are a little bit faster. Screen scrolling's faster. Yep, 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 yep. What's the other one? Lines or no? Does lines matter? Lines isn't really sped up that much, so uh, you probably okay. wouldn't. Seriously, that's probably good enough. If you run the GUI B thing, that's noticeably faster from the previous version too. Welcome to the late. Okay, so this is the one that shows you all your GUI tools, huh? Yeah. So the screen cleaning the clearing the screen in between each and then drawing the filled boxes and stuff is faster using yeah. the new machines. And yeah. that's one of the nice things about doing doing this in a real operating system is because these are routines that the operating system has that we've sped up. All your programs that call these all immediately get the speed up. You don't have to do anything special on your program. That's just it's just built in. And this is the 6809 version we're looking at. Yeah. Yep. So the 6309 one is, is faster, faster still. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The yeah, diamond's, no. diamond's a little wonky looking, but yeah. Yeah, that, that's because Robert Gall did a patch where he, as he called the improve the symmetry. And he's right, because if you do some specific line draws, it actually is balancing the error correction of a line better. But these programs were done before that correction was made, so they adjusted for it ahead of time. So no, I've got to go through and patch those. I patched the Qbert game to kind of do that already. I haven't patched QEB yet. Yeah. There's your high-res like, screen. Draw, drawing the, the background gray bars there, like the background bars. Yeah, those are quicker. A lot faster than the old one. I had some videos I put up that we showed last yeah. week. Okay. What else should I pull up? I can pull up games because there's a couple new ones there. So to go back, would I click on the dot here? Yeah. 
Studio, also put in some get pictures, demos. I got some more sound samples. There's a bunch of stuff. You don't need to go through it all. But let, okay. let the people what were you saying, Mark? Using a joystick or what? Yeah, I'm using a joystick, the Lex joystick. Oh, okay. Yeah, I still need to try David Ladd's uh, mouse adapter, PS2 mouse adapter. With yeah. And this this is something in G Shell itself. I have to figure out why it's running this slow. I know it has to pre-buffer in all the icons if it hasn't encountered them before. And the more games I add, of course, the slower it's getting. But I think there's some ways I can probably optimize that in G Shell itself to speed this up. Nice. Yeah, for those who don't have a Coco 3 of 512K, you can run it in an emulator and um, you know, uh, MAME will do it and so, so will VCC. Right? Will this run in VCC? Yeah. Now, v VCC is starting to get distanced. There's some routines and certain things like run being based on nine. If you're doing certain things that mm -hmm. are using six or nine codes, the current VCC does not support. And it actually will pop up an error window saying illegal divide instruction okay. or something. Um, I can't remember who it is that's working on VCC, but I know they've got that internally fixed already. So once that new VCC is out, that problem will be solved. But right now, the only one, the only emulator that's doing it fully is me. Okay. So what should I pull on now? Is Qbert09, is that new? Uh, Qbert09 and Invaders uh, are the two new ones. Qbert09 is a basic 09 game. So um, what should so, I pull up, Invaders? Yeah, Invaders is more impressive to look at. I think that's uh, Alan Huffman's very first game he ever did. Uh. I think you're thinking of Walter, who's rewriting VCC, so it's cross. Yeah, that's yeah. Thanks, I couldn't remember the name. Okay, maybe I don't have the right keyboard. joystick. No, this is keyboard. Well, if you hit J, yeah, you might have plugged it. I did in, hit but... J. Oh, okay, yeah, because keyboard is what I usually play it on. Okay, I love how he's got Etha for his. Um... Yeah. And you got multi fire too. That was kind of nice. Well, I don't have any fire right now, but that's okay. How do I get out of this bloody thing? I guess that's <laughs> one way to do it. I just hit clear, so I am multitasking through Windows. Look how quickly I just switched Windows, huh? Notice how the invaders above are shooting at the invader below. The invaders yeah, above? Yeah, the shots. <laughs> oh, they're dropping bombs on the on the bit. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's still impressive, though. All right. How do I get out of it? Q to quit? Uh, control Q. Game over. Control e Game something. over. Okay. All right. Let's try it. Let's try keyboard. Because my joystick didn't work. All right, so my arrow keys and spacebar. But you have multiple shots. Yeah, multi shots. And as you progress, if you don't die, every time you die, you lose one of your shots. But if you make it through a screen, you gain. And I think I've had it up to like seven shots at once. You can do. Oh wow! I might even go higher than that. I'm not sure. And that alien at the top changes speed too. All right, guys, it's pretty good. Yeah, the sounds are fairly simple. I mean, it's not the most extravagant game, but like I said, it was Alan's first attempt at a arcade game under OS 9 and it's not too bad. What did he write it in? Assembly. Oh, okay. Neat. And he cool. had his own font he built in as you can see there. Q to quit. Okay. There you go. <clears throat> and then Qbert 9 is another one? Is yeah, that's a, one? that's a really old game written in Basic 9. Okay. Using the 640 mode. Do you need instructions? Uh, no. This is joystick. Oh. Ah. Look at that. Not bad. What do I do? Uh, push diagonally and hit the button to jump if you got the right joystick plugged in. Yeah, I don't know. I'm and so I must not. The joystick I have is working for uh, G Shell, but it's not working for games. Yeah. Well, it depends on the game. <clears throat> like one thing, like Pac OS 9, for example, actually asks you to click a button so it knows what side you're on. And some of these first games, people were still used to RS DOS where they hard coded for left to right joystick. Instead of prompting the user, so they right. hit a few things, but okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, we can see here, you, anything else there. <clears throat> People even on a 6809, it's still faster. Yeah, quite a bit faster. Um, but there, yeah, there's. I put in some graphic samples that are GIFs. You can see what the GIF viewer looked like back in the day. And I put in some sound samples for other platforms that are ported over, like Amiga Sounds and stuff. Where like do that. I go to get to those at graphics folder? Um, graphics, I think, is under Pictures. And then uh, Sound, I think I did for sound samples. I can't even remember now. Okay, got our pictures here. Bada bing, bada bing, boom, ba. Yeah, now I've got to fix the view program that does the GIFs because I have a six or nine specific version, but unfortunately, I guess the last release I did, I broke a couple things and didn't notice at the time back in 1997 or whatever the heck it was because it runs a fair bit faster on a six or nine system, but it, it, it doesn't run properly, so I kind of have it disabled by default. And now it's loading all the custom icons for various imaging formats. Yeah. That's something I got to figure out how to speed up. All right, so what should I be clicking? Go to the GIF folder. GIF. Named after my favorite peanut butter. <laughs> Choosy moms choose GIF. I know it's technically supposed to be called GIF. I can't call it that. I don't know. I don't know what the right term for it is. All right, so what do you want to pull up here? What do you recommend? Just pick, pick big, big, the upper left corner, Big Cat, for example. Uh, I saw Cheryl. Is that Cheryl Tiggs and Christy Brinkley? Uh, yeah, it might be. All right, I'd rather look at Cheryl than a Big Cat. So let's see. <laughs> And some of these were designed for like EGA and higher displays, so Ooh, it's trying to scale. Yeah, and baby. Look at this. Blazing speeds. Well, it's doing lumpels have uh, decompression at the same time. So Yeah. If you remember back in the old PC days, back in 8086 80, 80, 80, days, they had to do the same thing. Oh, my God. She looks like a skeleton with those dark sunken in eyes. She's like a zombie. <laughs> What's going on here? Zombie with cleavage. So... Um, is there another pass that's going to... Okay. No, you can hit the button uh, on the joystick to finish viewing, too. All right, let's see if Christy Brinkley looks any better than Cheryl does, because she did not hold up well. Uh. <laughs> yeah, depending on the scaling of the original resolution. Some of the pictures I specifically picked because they'll actually look pretty decent on the code. Okay. And I think this was a Mac picture, so it's probably originally like 512 by 384, and it's trying to do it on a 640 by 200. Who's breathing? This is like a cover of Sports Illustrated if it was brought to you by dial-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the ones that are closer to native Coco Res actually display a bit faster than this yeah. too. Like if you pick that big cat one in the upper left, okay. it's three twenty bucks. Well, the perv in me wanted to see the bikini yeah. girls before I looked at the big. I didn't cat, put anything so. R or okay. X rated. <laughs> I did find right. some, but I didn't put them. All on. right, so here's the big cat. So for all you animal lovers out there. <laughs> Now that's pretty nice. Yeah, and this is loading a little quicker too. It's is uh, kind it's, of it's more close to native regs and not trying to rescale it on the fly. Yeah, because the way Zempelzev Welsh works or Zempelzev uh, decompression works, you have to uncompress the entire stream, even if you're not going to be using it. Okay. Because it's based on what's previously in the stream. Okay. So when you do a picture that's like twice as wide as the Cocoa screen and twice as high, it still has to decode the entire thing, even though it can't draw it. So it just skips some of the data after it decompresses. Okay. Cool. But yeah, there's quite a few in there anyway. All right. Cool. And then All sound right. files, like I said, I added some Amiga 
clips and some other ones too. All right. Well, I'm 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 my uh, my, stu my stomach clock is saying I got to eat some food soon. So what we're gonna do here though is we're gonna we're gonna switch gears for just a minute. Let's take a look at Chet's Gold Runner Three, latest edition, and then um, then we'll take it from there. What's the sixty-eight oh nine boot co? <laughs> Can I is asking if there's a picture of a Canadian beaver in there, Curtis? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't find one. All right, Not so. that I could put on a family family friendly show anyway. Nice beaver. All right, Digger Three Holiday Preview. Look at this. I already um, and I found for whatever reason. Although I'll try the joystick again. I think I found that for some for some reason I thought the keyboard was working a little better. It, it works better for me for those ones where you're trying to get around the bats. All right, the basic. And I don't remember what all the codes are anymore. But here we go. AZ and, or sorry, AZ and uh, the arrows and spacebar. Oh, right, right. It's okay, Curtis. We speak Canadian. Yeah. No, but I tell you, it's so smooth. I forgot. I haven't played this since the last time we did this live. But it's so damn smooth. And right. Chet updated it. If you die, the the death graphic for you is a bit more animated. And the biggest biggest through. change I noticed, Chet, and you can correct me if there's anything more that I'm missing, but is the fact that the the cheat codes to get up to the later levels actually display for all the levels now, correct? Yeah, yeah, because originally what, the the way that it was set up is that uh, you had uh, 30 levels, but the last five you didn't get the codes for. Um, so for this game, there was originally five, and in, the, in, in previous previews, you didn't get any codes at all. And unfortunately, that one was missed uh, when I went through and did all of the updates for the release, so it only displayed the first one and didn't display the last five uh, because of it. So that was quickly fixed. And now all the codes are, are, are showing, and they all work. So... And then you did update the graphic for the dying there where he has little stars in his eyes and stuff. Yeah, we polished uh, that up a little bit, added uh, the uh, the transitions in and out to make it a little uh, you know smoother, and then the uh, the additional animation so that you c it didn't just you know cut out immediately when you died. And I think when you when you complete a level, you you did you add a cave or something to, to the exit level? Yeah, yeah, kind of, the, the guy kind of goes off into the next level, and that's actually uh, something we wanted to test out for uh, some of the things that we're playing around with at the moment for uh, uh, you know, newer animations and sequencing. Next, I didn't know, so there's a few you know, graphical additions to it. Yeah, there were a few a few things that were polished up and uh, uh, that uh, didn't quite have time to, uh, to get to, and I didn't think I was actually going to have time to get to them. But... <laughs> All right. Cool, cool, cool. Well, it's out there. It's, you might make uh, it to the next level, Stevie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it looks good. It looks good. So maybe I'll play that later on tonight when I'm done eating and I'm not hangry. Um, <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Well, excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, another good show, everybody. Thanks, for, thanks all for being here. Um, I don't know if you guys want to get together again later tonight or not, when maybe we can have Greg on here. Um, the Internet's own, Grant Leedy. Um, but yeah, yeah, Digger 3 is looking good. It's playing good. It's fast. It's smooth. It's fun. Uh, everybody should try it. All the cool kids are. Uh, cool. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, and anybody download, who downloads so the uh, Ease of Use, uh, please give us some feedback, either on, on the shows or on Facebook or 
email if you picked it up from my page. I should also mention I have submitted it to the archive. I don't know if it's up there yet, too. Uh, okay. Place you and and you've posted download links for ease of use on, on the Facebook group, from the Cocoa Facebook group and Nitrous 9 yeah. Facebook group. So the link is there. Download it. It's a zip file. Extract the zip file. Drag the disk file into your Cocoa SDC and run it straight off of a Cocoa SDC as a hard drive. If you're running it on an emulator, you have to boot the floppy disk first, right, to be able to mount yep. the hard drive and get that going. Um, but please give us feedback. Report any bugs you see. We did fix a couple. We fixed the joystick on the bottom. We fixed the um, page flipping where it would trap you so you couldn't get off the screen if it's page flipping. Um, so that's fixed, too. So. Huh. Huh. Excellent, excellent. Else. And David O'Connor is asking, is Cocoa 3, is Digger 3, Cocoa 3 only? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. 512K required. 512K, 1.21 gigawatts, you know, <laughs> flux capacitor, the whole nine yards. Um, RGB highly recommended. <laughs> yes, but it does only require a 6809, so there's uh, there's less of a requirement there as far as hardware goes. Right. Um, and, and it runs in VCC too, right? So if somebody wants to run yes. an emulator, VCC and or MAME, so mm -hmm. you can, can, can be emulated. Have emulator, will travel. Cool. Any parting thoughts, anybody, before we wrap this show up? Well, it's been a great uh, Christmas edition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and um, and Rondell Vo, as always, thank you for bringing in the talent. Sure. Uh, we'll see if we can't get uh, the Microsoft guy. Yeah. Yeah. For next year. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Uh, thanks, Ron, for, for bringing yep. him in and for all that you do. Uh, Curtis Boyle, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? No, it, was, it, was, it was great to talk to Dale. I did talk to him briefly at a fest back in the late 80s, um, but, I mean, I was nobody back then, so I keep wouldn't remember. Yeah, not much has changed, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've grown older and, and less uh, famous. So. Uh, and less hate. You'll um, always be famous to us, man. That's right. You are I think infamous always. is the more technical term there, but sure. That and uh, like, my I'm mullet's sorry. more famous than me. Yeah. <laughs> Chat, were you going to say something? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I was just breathing a little hard. I was getting excited okay. you know, about the, the, the whole Dale Puckett thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Revision D, overhauls. Are any parting thoughts? Um, hey, if you can contribute to uh, uh, the new Rainbow, you know, we can put out more than one issue a year. There you so, go. There you go. Brian Weasley. Like yeah, no, Brian another, Weasley great, another great show. Um, everybody have a Merry Christmas and a Ho-Ho uh, Coco. Ho-Ho Coco. John Lowry, parting thoughts. I was just going to say the same thing. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. <laughs> Jim Brain from Retro Innovation says, let the show die already. So, yes, we're working on it. We're trying to kill it. Uh, Jason, the Cocoa Man Record, maker of the Switcheroo and now the Wallabay. Parting thoughts. Uh, parting thoughts. Uh, just uh, Merry Christmas and uh, CocoaMan.biz. If, if you need that last-minute stocking stuffer idea, the Wallabies make great stocking stuffers. <laughs> nice vertical packaging. It's right in there. Yes. And if you guys need my address to send those Christmas gifts to you, I can give it after the show. So. <laughs> Mark Bosley, parting thoughts, words of wisdom. Oh, just Merry Christmas to everybody. God bless us, everyone. Um, Greg says Merry Christmas, too. Thank you, Grant Leedy. Uh, Nick Morentes. Uh, nothing else. Uh, Merry Christmas. And uh, in case I'm not here next week, uh, Happy New Year as well. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, we hope you're still here next. You're not planning on checking out of the planet Earth, well, anything, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> excellent. If he keeps listening to us, maybe I don't know. Yes. Hey, we got a late a late entry. Rick Adams has joined us. Hey, Rick Adams. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. Oh, thank, thank you. You're too kind. Yes. <laughs> Can you hear me? He's here just yes. in time to say good night. Okay. Yes. You can give us your, your Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> uh, parting thoughts, words of wisdom, words of encouragement? Uh, no. Merry Christmas. Yep. <laughs> no encouragement for you people out there. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> That's extra. <laughs> nice lights there, Rick. Like yes, lights. nice, nice yeah, holiday yeah, yeah. light display.